Okay, we have this. We're connecting a guy. Um, a guy whose name is Stephen. St- how's it? How's it go? Mulinex Stefan Stephanopoulos. Um, I'm sorry. I, I I didn't hear you above all that Greek. Maybe you should turn down <laughs> your interest rate. <laughs> You know what? That's just such a great dough. You do the show. I'm just going to manage the call. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Please turn down your interest rate. It's screaming so loud in my ear. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think I think I'm done though. I think I'm tapped. <laughs> I think that peaked. I peaked. No, no, no. Early. Do it for three hours and see if you need to have a nap like I do because you're weak and old. <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> You know, it's, right. uh, Socrates is still getting these bastards back. Yeah, oh, no deny problem. reality, will you? Well, no problem. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well. Um, My audio is coming through okay? Oh, yeah, you're coming through fine. Um, I'm doing this from the house today. Hopefully, it won't, we won't have any problems. Um, I'm not going to try rolling the dice with any more cafes because obviously it didn't work out that's too well. The technical, that's the technical team's commitment of excellence. Hopefully... It'll it'll work. Let's cross our fingers, shall we? Next, we'll be folding <laughs> your parachutes. <laughs> but I didn't do it here because I knew it was bad. <laughs> so. Well, my issues are all set, so I'm fixed. Yeah, I'm going to keep the number of callers down, um, no, the current concurrent callers down. So I think right now we'll keep it at where it is, and then when people are done, if I could ask you to just jump off the call. Sorry, can um, I just? Uh, I'm just. I'm hearing a bunch of chicken sounds on the on the line. Is that? Oh, sorry. That's your technical cowardice. My mistake. Sorry. I thought it was actual chickens, but it turned out it was just you. If I had a good comeback ah, for that, ah, I would. Uh, wait, wait, you hear them again? I, I swear. I can. Anyway, perhaps we should go on with the show. What do you think? Well, you know, I, 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 I think, I think I'm running out of money this month. Oh no! I love you <laughs> suddenly, suddenly I running say. out of money. Wow, there's like a moth in my wallet. What's happening? <laughs> All right, you win. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot who was dependent on who here, and uh, clearly that was just not a good idea. <laughs> All right, so would you like to start? <laughs> All right, everybody. It is uh, sometime in March. You know, I used to have a real job, and I used to know what day it was. Now I'm lucky if I grab the month. It's the 11th of March, 2012, and I'm afraid we have had to bid a fond farewell to the beard. It's oh, so sad and so tragic. Uh, I quite like it, although it can be a little bit itchy and it does make me feel when I'm wearing turtlenecks like I have spiders giving birth to all the <laughs> uh, many-legged creatures from hell on my neck, but uh, it is a great way to store food for later. Uh, and uh, But unfortunately, like most married men with daughters, uh, I live in a benevolent dictatorship and I'm afraid that the spikiness of the beard has been vetoed by the estrogen brigade and i am happy to to exceed and uh, it is it is unfortunately a spiky uh, a spiky beard and uh, all the hair fell down from my scalp and bred into iron filings in my chin and uh, and cheeks so uh, i'm afraid we've lost the beard i kind of i like the look and i got a lot of compliments on it and thank you to everyone who did take the time to not notice what i was saying and rather notice that i actually had facial hair uh, that's uh, that's important um so yeah, it's uh, it really is too bad. Um, it was really nice having something to idly braid, uh, and of course, I was looking forward to carving various patterns into it and uh, growing it so long that I could tie it to my nipples. Of course, like most people, that's the goal of um, of beards. But uh, it um, didn't really have any luck. So, 
uh, yes, yeah, sadly, uh, there is no hipster beard. <laughs> so anyway, listen, let's, um, uh, what's our caller queue look like, JJ? Well, SS, it is, um, <laughs> we have a couple of people online, uh, starting with Tom. All right, Tom. Tom, I'm all ears. I am Dumbo. Speak. Speak louder. Can you hear him? I cannot hear him. I do not hear him at all. Um, Tom, it seems like we're not getting any uh, signal from you. <laughs> so let's move on to Will, and hopefully you can find the unmute button. Wow, already? Okay. Yes, uh, how are you, my friend? Oh, I'm doing good. Um, all right, uh, mentally prepare. Um, mentally prepare. You mean you've been sitting there on hold for a while. You get on the line and it's like, now I must mentally prepare. So you're basically yeah. like uh, Michael Moore showing up to the Olympics and saying, I'm going to train. Okay. Sorry. Go on. All right. Um, well, I, I am, I'm having a little difficulty with, uh, dating a little bit. Um, I, I, I'm 19. I kind of been, I've been out of high school for some time and, uh, Coincidentally, I haven't had a date since high school. Yeah. And I'm finding it difficult uh, finding dates, necessarily. I, um, I can't... I, it, it's hard for me to approach a stranger. And with, with intentions in mind. And start you know, ask and ask them out on a date. Because in high school, you just ask people out. You kind of already know. Yeah, you're sort of and in a no. crowd already. And you can yeah. sort of say, hey, you want to go grab a movie? And it's pretty casual. And it's obviously a lot less, you know, stressful and so on. So, yeah, I got it. Yeah. And um, it, it's just, it's, I mean, I, I did take some time off to, introspect and i i wasn't a <laughs> you sound very enthusiastic about that you're like yeah <laughs> i did have to go to the uh hospital to get my appendix out because it was flamed well, and attacking my colon I was... and i did take some time to introspect and then i you know... okay go on <laughs> no it was worth it i i yeah I, I learned a lot about myself and it's um i, I read nathaniel brandon's six pillars of self-esteem which really helped and but now it's just a matter of okay <laughs> kind of you know i've kind of I'm, I'm ready to get back in the dating game right and i don't know if it's a matter of i can't i don't really see anyone that i'm interested in right listen before we go on do you mind if i mock your situation very briefly <laughs> sure very briefly okay so because you know obviously um you know, we um, uh, we practice um, uh, we, we we practice on ourselves before we practice on others, right? So we practice integrity and honesty with ourselves before we practice honesty and integrity with others. And so, in the in, in that light or taking that approach, uh, have you thought about practicing asking out your hand? Uh, because I find that can be very helpful. You can put a little lipstick on it, some eyebrows, and you can even bribe a little flowers, flower or two. Uh, also, a manicure uh, can be very helpful to get closer to your hand. Uh, and then, well, I do have some soft puppets that I can use. You do have soft puppets. Well, that that helps yeah. a lot, although they can get kind of messy after a while, if you know what I'm saying. But uh, yeah, so you know, you can obviously practice with your hand before practicing with, with other people. Okay, that's the end of my semi-humorous uh, mockery. But um, 
Uh, so, so um, look, first of all, I completely understand and I feel for you. It's weird how hard it is to meet people when you get out of school, right? I mean, in school, yeah. you've just got this conveyor belt of people you're stuck with all day. And you're just meeting people and meeting people. Some you like and some you don't. But it's kind of weird that, you know, and I think it's quite tragic. It's, you know, sort of another problem with, with, with um, uh, with with public education is that you know they say well you got to socialize you got to learn how to socialize in school right and yeah. the reality is you actually don't learn that many social skills in school I mean you learn how to give big people your lunch money and you learn how to hide from the jocks when they come coming down the hallway uh, and you learn maybe to trip the mathletes but you don't really learn how to introduce yourself to new people uh, and so I I feel for you that is a very hard thing it's a very hard thing and. So, I mean, I, I remember when I was um, uh, gold panning uh, up north um, after high school, uh, I was living with a, a tiny Japanese woman who was nice enough, but we didn't have a whole lot in common. And uh, I had a girlfriend back in Toronto, but I was in Thunder Bay. And so, uh, or I was based in Thunder Bay going a lot into the bush. So I didn't really have anyone to talk to. And so I used to go to the university gym to, to exercise. And so I remember sitting there uh, in the uh, sauna uh, not, you know, I didn't have the greatest social skills back in the day. And I was sitting in the sauna, I was chatting with some guy about politics or whatever, and I basically asked him out. Uh, <laughs> you know, because I just thought, you know, hey, you know, we're having a nice conversation, maybe we can catch a movie sometime. And it wasn't until after he packed up his towel and left in a fair hurry uh, that I realized that, you know, asking a guy out for a movie when you're sitting uh, under a towel in a steam room may not be the most obvious signal of, you know, Hetero, hetero, hetero bromance in the in the making. So, uh, so no, I, I really, I really do uh, feel for you. And the cold, um, the cold uh, call, so to speak, the cold is is tough. Is tough. Um, I've done it a few times, and actually, I had a a, a very nice relationship that that came out of it. Uh, when I um, was, uh, I ended up chatting with a woman in a in a coffee shop. Uh, but it's tough. I also met a woman uh, on an airplane. Uh, of course, that's a little easier because. You know, unless they're willing to, uh, you know, hit the uh, eject button, it's really hard for them to get away. And so it is, it is tough. It is tough. Um, I mean, I can tell you some of the things that helped me in terms of, of meeting women. Um, you jo joining clubs is a good thing. Uh, I, I, you know, online dating, I know there have been some success stories and, you know, but to me, that's always a bit, a bit, uh, <laughs> a bit roll the dice with an, a whole lot of snake eyes. But um, you can, uh, yeah, you can sort of join, joining clubs, I think, is, is a good idea. Um, and, uh, you know, so whatever hobbies you have, uh, that kind of stuff is a, is a good idea. If you go to some place where you can meet, uh, see, see the same people on any kind of repetitive basis, that gives you much more of an in for, for having a chat uh, with people. Striking up conversations with neighbors or if you live in an apartment with people, you know, just saying hi when you go in the lobby. You can sort of work your way in that way because everyone you meet has a whole social circle of friends that they themselves got from high school that you might find somebody uh, interested in. Um, you can, of course, um, uh, you, can, you can throw parties. I was going to say you're going to throw dinner <laughs> parties, but of course you're 19, not 49. Uh, so, <laughs> so you can just throw parties and you invite people that you wouldn't normally invite, right? So you can say, you know, have a party. And, you know, assuming that they're, you know, it's not necessarily the local biker gang, but, you know, invite people who may be just right on the fringe or just say, you know, BYOB and bring your own friends as well. And then you can meet more people that way. And you might find ways of expanding your circles, so to speak. Um, I find at work, it's always pretty tricky. I certainly never uh, had any relationships with anyone I've ever worked with, uh, any romantic relationships. But um, 
It is. It is tough. Uh, it is tough. Uh, I, I found in general that if you're, you know, obviously polite and 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 respectful and and uh, hopefully somewhat engaging and can hopefully be a little bit funny, then I've not found any woman in particular who's been upset about the cold contact. <laughs> you know, the sort of I don't know you, but. <laughs> Yeah, want to start a family, <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, so as long as it's you know, and you know, you 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 can offer her your number so that and she has the choice whether they're called or not, that kind of stuff. Uh, I used to, I mean, when I was younger, I used to go clubbing a lot. Um, not, you know, of course, I'm from Canada, so people think that means baby seals, but I meant um, discos, and so I used to go um, dancing a lot, a lot, like two two times a week, three times a week, and occasionally I would meet women through that uh, through that venue. Uh, and um, uh, and they would often offer to give me the number in return for their purse because I found that was uh, very very helpful. But um, uh, and so you sort of meet them and you, maybe you go for a coffee afterwards and you exchange numbers and and that uh, that can sort of work out as well. Uh, but that again that's a bit more hit and miss, particularly once you've done some introspection and self knowledge. Of course, that narrows down the field quite a bit. And this may be all stuff yeah. you've you've heard, thought of. And I'm sorry if it's completely redundant, but but how does that strike you? <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I've tried. Uh, I, I've tried to go like go into the bookstore a little more often, but it, at the bookstore, there's just middle-aged women with their children there. I mean, people people my age are at college right now. Right. They're all at college, and so it kind of like at the moment, even statistically, it's kind of hard to meet people around my age. Uh. I've, I've, um, I don't, I don't know. There's just, I've thought about so many different. I talked it over with some of my friends. I'm like, I don't know. And they keep saying, I, one of my friends is like, just go to college. I said, okay, okay, but that requires lots of money to do, and it's not so simple to just go to college. I'm not gonna go to college just to meet women, obviously. Right. Well, and of course, you can just go to college bars, right? I mean, they don't check your oh, student yeah. ID at the door, right? You can just go to uh, to college bars. All right. Oh. Yeah, I guess I could do that. Uh, I'm kind of afraid of the bar situation. Uh, just a little, you know, the little. Uh, the word, I mean, yeah, I, 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 yeah, just the whole booze thing. I don't really enjoy very much. Right. Right. Uh, now, there may be, of course, there may be courses that you can take in fields that you're interested in that are offered by the college. But again, you may run into the middle-aged patui. I can't believe I'm saying that as a middle-aged guy. But no, I understand from the age of 19, you don't want to be dating MILFs, right? But um, yeah. uh, so, uh, so you, I mean, but you may be able to find some college courses or something like that that would sort of be in the evening or, or whatever that may be sort of more appealing to you. But um but the other thing too, have you have you talked to your friends and said, "Listen, I mean, the, the social networking is very helpful. You assume your friends, you know, know something about you and what your tastes are, and so uh, you can say, uh, you know, I'm looking for a Belgian woman who's really into lederhosen and riding well-oiled dolphins or whatever, whatever your particular thing is or things." Young Filipino boys. <laughs> young, young Filipino boys. I would not uh, really ask for that in any public context whatsoever. But um, but uh, but you can say to friends, look, I'm I'm lonely. Uh, I'm lonely. Uh, I've done the six pillars of self-esteem, but my seventh pillar of self-esteem is getting a decidedly non-workout kind of uh, month. <laughs> so um, 
So it, it, this is something that that you can ask your friends for and just you know, be vulnerable and say, look, it's hard to meet people. Do you guys know anyone who might be single, who might be interested, uh, who I could, you know, get, to, you know, we can all get together or whatever. But if you know someone, because remember, of course, there are, you know, millions of women, billions of women out there probably who have exactly the same issue. They don't know how to connect with women. It's really tough uh, because they're not. I mean, for a woman to do the cold contact is really unusual. Uh, and uh, they're sort of raised to be a little bit more passive. Uh, or a lot yeah. more passive, really, in waiting for that kind of stuff. I mean, it's really frustrating. Uh, I've I've actually seen this uh, in in clubs, and I've sort of joked about it with women before. You know, the, a woman's at a club, or or a woman's at a bar, or a woman's at a restaurant, or she sees some guy that she really likes. She's really interested, got a nice smile, or whatever, right? And um, she wants him to notice her, so she'll do all this hair flips and you know whatever. I don't know. Uh, oh, my boob fell out. Wait, sorry, that was my cold contact approach. <laughs> my man boob tripped. Can you help me shovel it back in? But. Um, uh, so and and they're it's really frustrating for them because they can't go and talk uh, to to these guys for the most part. That's just not something that is considered to be you know in the realm of possibility for women. And so they have to. It's like it's like trying to get a wild squirrel to feed from your hand. You know, it's okay. I'm interested. You can talk to me. It's okay. Come on, come on, get a little closer. You know, they, they, I don't know if they have to have like a little Xbox controller in their hand to lure you in or something like that. But. Um, uh, I would uh, remember that it's um, uh, that you may be doing a favor for a woman by talking to her. Uh, and if you're an FDR listener, for sure you're doing a favor to the woman by uh, by talking to her. But she may really want that and be unable to to express that. And um, uh, so I, I think I think that's I think that's really uh, that's really important. The other thing that I would suggest, and and you know I realize I'm probably treading on all kinds of sexist toes here, but I'm just giving you my sort of honest thoughts and experience is don't necessarily talk to the most obvious woman. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, yeah. you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Don't necessarily talk to the most obvious woman. Um, you know, as I've, as I said before, um, I would have overlooked my wife. Uh, I mean, I think she's completely gorgeous now, but was not particularly on my radar of, you know, obvious potential candidates for starting a family with. So, um, but, you know, I, I I break out in a cold sweat every time I think about what might have happened if, if we hadn't talked. To, uh, well, we would have talked because we're on the same volleyball team, but but don't necessarily look for the most obvious, you know, the one with the blondest hair or the most flirty or the longest legs or whatever it is, right? Uh, I would say that it's 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 important to spread your um legs no it's important to spread your your um radar for who might be interesting to talk to and so that would be uh, another suggestion that i i would have right right sorry somebody said semen spread your semen it is important to spread your semen uh, that's not necessarily the best cold contact that you want though <laughs> yeah so uh, basically just Talk a lot and talk a lot. That's where did you get that from? <laughs> did you, did, is there any time where I said talk a lot here? No, look, I mean, you have, I mean, you, you can, you, if you find a woman attractive, talk to her. If you find a woman attractive and she's not, you know, currently necking some leg armed bicycle, by <laughs> uh, like biker guy, then, then to go talk to her. Seriously. I mean, life is short. And I have never looked back and regretted something that I've done out of courage. I've never looked back and re regretted. I have looked back and regretted things that I didn't do 
Because you know what happens? So let's say you see some woman who's really attractive to you from whatever context and, and you, you don't do it, right? Well, I'll tell you what will happen later. What will happen later is you will only remember how attractive she was. You will not remember how scary it was. <laughs> I guarantee you. Is, do, do you understand? Oh, and that's, yeah. how, that's how regrets accumulate in life. Yeah. Is that we don't we don't remember the fear, we only remember the desire that we did not act on. <laughs> and don't accumulate that. So, I mean, you're a young man, your whole life is ahead of you. Don't start accumulating regrets because regrets become avoidance. And that's not a good thing to have. So just smile and say hi. All you have to do, it's just one syllable. Hi. That's all it is. Now, if you get maced, then it's like, okay, uh, maybe I won't say hi to that person again. It's just hi. That's all you have to do. You don't have to commit to getting a number. You don't have to commit to getting a date. You don't have to commit to, am I attractive to women in general if this woman smiles at me, yes or no, right? Because it's not what it comes down to. All you're doing is you're saying hi. Yeah. Now, if the woman yeah, smiles and says hi, then you can say, how are you today? Or, you know, what's new? Or, you know, I have a ferret in my pants. Would you like to pet it? Whatever it is that's going to come to mind that, you know, may, of course, end up with you getting tasered. But, but all you have to commit to is one syllable. One syllable. That's not the end of the world, right? You're not, you know, don't, don't raise the stakes any higher. If, she's like, if she just gives you a funny look, it's like, okay, so she doesn't want to chat. And you've just had a very efficient interaction and you've gathered no regrets. You've gathered no regrets. You've stepped right over a big regret stain that will <laughs> stay in your life forever, right? So you, all you have to commit to is just to say, hi. And if she smiles and says, hi, then, you know, just, just talk to her. She's just a human being, right? She, she's not a goddess who holds the future fate of your masculinity and self-worth uh, in her hands. She's just a person. Women are just people, <laughs> Right. <laughs> and if you were on, uh, you know, if you were chatting with, if you saw some guy who, I don't know, had a free domain radio t-shirt on and probably nothing else because he's got, you know, why, why, why would you need to wear anything else? Um, well, obviously if he's like me, he would have a free domain radio hat on, but that's it. Uh, but so if you saw a guy who had a free domain radio t-shirt and you'd say, Hey, I listened to that show. That, and that's that, but you wouldn't be like, and now we're going to become best friends and now we're going to move in together. <laughs> and you're just going to be, Hey, I listened to that show. That's all it is. That's all it is. Yeah. I've, um, I've always had this problem of being one step ahead of myself. Yeah, I'll start talking to a woman and I start thinking to myself, like, oh, wait, wait, if I ask her out, what are we going to do on our date? And then what are we going to talk about? And, okay, what, after we talk about what, what, if, what if there's an awkward pause and what if, what if I want to move in with her? And what, what are we going to do when we're married? What are our kids are going to look like? And, and I would confess well, we, all of that right after I said hi. <laughs> Hi. Oh, my God. I can't believe I just said hi. You know, I'm so worried about whether you're going to find me attractive. And I'm thinking, do I have a canker in the inside of my mouth? And I'm thinking, you know, one of my earlobes is longer than the other. I wonder if you noticed that. I should probably tilt my head uh, like one way or another. And now I'm just babbling to you and you're kind of backing away uh, slowly. But listen, don't, don't, don't leave because I want to have a family someday and I'm going to be a great dad. I listen to philosophy. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, no, I understand. I, I understand. Yeah. I have I understand. noticed that people... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I've noticed that people react positively when I do, or I'm very honest. And I just start saying all these things about like, oh, I just had this weird thought about this, that, and the other, and that's always kind of helped me. Right. Or you can just say, hey, how about breakfast? Should I call you? <laughs> just nudge you. <sighs> anyway, um, 
Look, the overthinking thing is is important. So tell me where you think that comes from. Um, it, it, I think it definitely comes from keeping some sort of rationality in my life, being able to plan out all that. Um, or at least that's my opinion. I think it just always, I have to, you know, if I don't, being able to predict. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, did we lose him? Hello? Did we lose oh, him? Oh, it looks like he dropped. Um, All right, well, was... just as we're getting as we're getting it back and listen to this afterwards, um, I don't think that that's generally where these things come from. Uh, <laughs> if anybody who's listened to the show for a while knows, when I ask where do you think these things come from, I'm asking you about childhood. I'm asking you about childhood experience. And um, if people don't connect with that, then I think that's... Um, that's not the case. Um, uh, intellectualizing is um, I don't know how can I how can I put this? Okay, so if you are in a field and you want to walk to a tree, then you, you can just walk to the tree. You just walk in a straight line. You go to the tree, and that's what you do. And you don't really have to. You can think about other things. You can whatever, but you're not focused on just whatever, right? And so. That's one thing. Now, if you are in a field and you want to walk to a tree, but in between you is a maze, you know, a big high hedge, you can just see the belly, then you have to really concentrate on navigating through the maze. Oh, shit, did I go this way or not? Did I see that uh, holly branch before? Uh, I think I've been this way. You have to back double track. You might have to draw things on your hand. You can't just walk and enjoy the walk to the tree because you've got to navigate your way through a maze. And that is, um, that is a real challenge. What we call over-intellectualizing or overthinking things, in my opinion, comes from not having clear social signals or being in a very complicated emotional environment when we're children, that we can't just spontaneously express and be listened to and be natural, but what happens is we have to overthink things because we're in a maze. We need to get somewhere, and we're in a maze, and so we really have to analyze and think and figure out, and what are the consequences if I say this, and what are the consequences if I say that, and that comes to do with you know, the mildly totalitarian thing that some parents do, which is the rules keep changing, but the punishments remain the same. And then we have to overthink a lot of things because we're in those kinds of situations. So um, I don't know if you caught any of that, but uh, or if you're back uh, even, but um, yeah. Will, you're back. Did, you, did yeah. you get any of that? I, I, caught, I caught the maze part. Right. So uh, when you were growing up as a kid, I mean, were your interactions with your parents and, and your, if you have siblings, were they sort of easy and natural or were they kind of complicated and you had to really think things through uh, and figure out the consequences of, of things? Oh, the con I had to think about the consequences. Yeah. It's like, it's like if you go – like I, 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 the year 2000, I went to Morocco for, the, for Y2K because I felt that, you know, what better place to be. Uh, if you know the world goes into hell in a handbasket, then in a foreign country uh, where I don't speak the language or even read anything to do with it. But um, uh, when I was in Morocco, I didn't know what was what the etiquette was or what the protocol was, right? So I don't know if you're supposed to kiss people on the cheek or if that's considered a wildly gay insult that's going to get you crucified. I don't know. I don't know if you shake people's hands. Uh, like I, I just didn't know. So I had to really observe and watch because. Um, 
I wanted to be sensitive to the local customs and I didn't really know what they were. And now you could say, well, you're overthinking things. It's like, well, no, I'm not because I'm in a state of ignorance about the causes and the effects because this stuff is not like I know how to catch a ball in Morocco because the physics are the same, but I don't know what the social interactions are when, um, when I'm in Morocco. And so uh, does this, if you want to talk about it uh, a little bit and sort of see if this theory goes anywhere useful for you, um, when you interacted, were you in a stable and predictable environment or were things, you know, changing? Like some, if somebody's in a bad mood and they, they then just sort of make up a problem and then you go, oh my God, somebody's in a bad mood. How am I going to avoid the problem they want to make up as opposed to living in more sort of rational, predictable uh, environments, if that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, okay, that was a very short speech. If you'd like to go a little longer, that would be fine. <laughs> um, well, I, uh, my family, we would, I'd always get lashed out at whenever, like my old man, he would, if he was ever having a bad day, he'd be the kind of come home, start screaming, yelling, and then, you know, we have to, oh, we have to, we have to deal with it. Dad's, dad's in a bad mood. <laughs> But he would need some – okay, first, I'm really sorry to hear that. That is not, no. not at all fun. But people who are in a bad mood and want to lash out and want to discharge their, their, discharge their venom, they usually need some pretext for it, right? Yeah. And, and so we always feel if we can avoid the pretext for it, if we can avoid the pretext, then we can avoid – the anger. Does that does that make any sense? What I'm saying? Yeah, makes sense. I mean, my mom used to be in a really bad mood when she'd come home from work. Sometimes, my brother had a theory that that if the place was not messy, then we wouldn't get in trouble. <laughs> you know, because she'd look around. Ah, oh, this place is so messy. It's a pigsty, and she'd get angry about that. Yeah, I didn't believe that. You know, if it's not the mess, it's going to be something else. Oh yeah. Oh, um. Yeah, my my friend, he his he has a similar situation with his mother, and he's like, she always finds something yell at him. He says like, if it's not one thing, it's always the next. You know, it's they'll they'll find something. It doesn't matter what it is. But but for a long time, we think it does matter because that's what we're told, right? So that the angry parent says, I wasn't angry. You made me angry because you did or didn't <laughs> do X. That's what they say. Because and it's oh, complete yeah. bullshit, right? And it's completely <laughs> abusive. Because it's blaming the child for the emotional immaturity of the adults, right? Right. The children do not cause adults to be angry. I guarantee you, children do not cause adults to be angry. Anger is owned by the individual. Anger is owned by the individual. And certainly acting out or lashing out. But... People want to believe that that it's something that other people are doing that is going to make them angry. And once they have that permission slip from hell, then they can unleash without guilt, right? Right. And it's absolutely terrible, terrible, wrong, abusive, immoral approach to say that my child may be angry and therefore I can shit on them and it's justified. So because we're told that when we're kids – I'm angry because the place is a mess. Then we, of course, we don't want our parents to be angry with us. And so we say, okay, well, then I will, uh, I will tidy the place up. But then the next thing, so then let's say that the place is tidy. And then they come in and they say, 
Uh, I'm angry because there was a light left on upstairs. And I keep telling you kids, electricity is expensive. I'm not made of money. It doesn't grow on trees. Uh, no respect for that. Right? And then it escalates. Like a light's left on upstairs and suddenly you have no respect for human property. And you're a bunch of wild savages. Like it's, right? So you're like, okay, shit. Okay, so the place has got to be clean and the light's got to be off upstairs. Okay. The next time I come home. Uh, I'm angry because there were shoes left in the hallway and I tripped. Oh, shit. Okay, this place got to be clean. Got to turn the lights off upstairs. Got to make sure the news, right? And this is so, we end up with this incredibly complicated thing in our lives, right? Yeah. Which is, I've got to run through the checklist of 12 million things to figure out how not to get yelled at. And so is it any surprise at all, and I mean this with incredible compassion and sympathy, my friend, is it any surprise that you try and overthink things through and figure out what's going to happen in the future? It's not overthinking. It's a perfectly natural defense against this kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, have, you, uh, have you seen the movie Chronicle at all? It's a uh, Chronicles of Riddick it, with Vin Diesel. No, it's a movie by Max Land. It's about these kids that get superpowers, and basically, it, it's more about the kids and their social interactions. At one point in the movie, uh, the one of the main characters he lives in an abusive home, and at one point he's arguing with his dad, and his old man's going on like, "Yeah, I, I, I'm spending all my money on school," and he says to him, "You don't pay for school, you idiot." And his dad looks at him and says, what did you call me? Right. And I'm just – I'm sitting there in the theaters. I'm like, oh, my god. He got it because that's what they do. The second you the second you do anything like that, it just – the situation now, it's not about the thing anymore. And now it's about you calling him an idiot. Now the whole situation's changed. And, right, right, right. Oh, yeah. It was an amazing movie. It was really good. Chronicle, I will try and check it out. Thank you. Is it is it recent? It, it came out in theaters uh, earlier this year, and I don't know if it's in theaters anymore, but it's I definitely worth it. I would check. It, the, it's, again, it's, about, it's not about the superpowers. Superpowers just create conflict, it's, it's about, or a different way of expressing conflict. It's about the kids and the interactions with their high school and their parents, and it was just really interesting to see how this kid and what his life at home was like and how that changes him when he has these superpowers. Right. And of course, superpowers are apt. It, it's an apt description of what people or kids in these difficult situations end up with, right? I mean, yeah. some people have been very impressed my capacity to think on my feet and to reason and to debate and so on. But you know, that came a lot out of my having, you know, having crazy pressed up against my face for 15 years straight, right? Yeah. And so you do develop kind of superpowers when you come, you know, and, and, and you end up either very good or very bad, which is why there's that polarization in heroic comic fiction. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's not, I mean, you, you're sort of overthinking. I, I get that it is a real challenge in that kind of environment, but it also has its real, its real benefits, right? Oh, oh yeah, I, I developed a lot of, a lot of skills, <laughs> right, um, right? From growing up in a bad home, right, right, right. So, um, so first of all, I would say it is not 
it is not something that you developed. It's not something that was innate, it, like that was innate to you or that you chose to develop or that you have, you know, I just have this problem. I overthink things. It's like, no, I had to do that. I had to do that. That was inflicted on me. I have this thing that was inflicted on me called, quote, overthinking. And it was never overthinking in the past. Because I did have a real challenge to deal with these things. Yeah. So I would, I would be very sympathetic about that, in my opinion. <laughs> what are you thinking? I, I just, I never thought about my ability to overthink things at all. I never really. Like, let me, let me sort of give you an example, right? So if, if you and I are gazelles, right? And we're in the Serengeti. And uh, you turn to me like, shit, man, I think I just saw a lion in the grass. I'm, I'm going to have to look pretty hard for that lion in the grass. And I say, oh, man, you're just overlooking. What are you doing? Don't worry about it. Isn't it? We're fine. That would not be a very good survival strategy for me, would it? No. If you think there's a lion in the grass, um, it's pretty. It's a pretty good idea to look hard, right? <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. And remember, remember, you know, the way that our minds developed as children is not with the relatively peaceful parenting of the present. The way that our minds developed as children was when there was significant risk of infanticide and child abandonment. This is how our emotional apparatus developed at a time where displeasing the tribe or displeasing the, displeasing the parents could literally get you killed. I mean, the tiger metaphor is not a metaphor. For, I mean, I'm not saying that parents are out, you know, killing disobedient children very much anymore, of course, right, in the West. But the way that our emotional lives developed was in a situation of child death, of child sacrifice, of child abandonment. And so we do not allow ourselves to displease our parents. I mean, we will fight with them perhaps when we get older, when we get more self-sufficient, right? So the, the, the teenage, quote, rebelliousness, right, compared to the latency period, right? So that's the toddler rebelliousness, the latency period, and the teenage rebelliousness. The teenage rebelliousness is... Well, I can, now find, I can now hunt for myself, so screw you, right? But during the time of dependence, we don't. We just don't because of the threat uh, of abandonment and murder, which is, again, it's not something that most parents threaten their kids with anymore, but it doesn't matter because that's what our emotional development was, right? I mean, if you put a robot lion that's very realistic in the um, – in the grass around antelopes, they're not like, oh, you know what? I can hear a little whirring sound. That's like a robot lion. Don't worry about it. They'll be like, shit, I'm not taking that chance, right? <laughs> so no, um, uh, angry parents, raging parents, uh, abusive parents, they tr I, I genuinely believe, I don't have any proof for this. It's just an idiot theory, right? But, but I genuinely believe that they trigger uh, uh, feelings of uh, incredible danger. And, and historically, you know, given the amount of infanticide that occurred in the past, the amount of child sacrifice that occurred in the past while we were developing as a species, I mean, there's nothing but support for that. Uh, so 
but I, but I think that what we do is we say, well, you know, why would I have such a strong fight or flight mechanism? I mean, my dad was just angry. He wasn't going to strangle me. He wasn't going to throw me out in the snow. But our most primitive, the most primitive aspects of ourselves, they don't know that. We don't know that it's a robot tiger, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was always afraid of being kicked out of the house. Just on a regular basis, just always afraid. I'm like, I'm going to get kicked out. I'm gonna get Did kicked you get out. that as a threat? Oh, I, I'd be, uh, yeah. I mean, oh, regularly. Or being sent to military school or something like that. Right, Just, so... Of course, for you, this was pretty significant, right? Because, again, historically, in the development of a species, being kicked out of the tribe meant you just died. Yeah. And it certainly meant you didn't reproduce, right? So even if you didn't die, you end up living in some cave on your own, uh, you didn't then reproduce. And therefore, the genes would be weeded out that would not view that as a complete disaster. To, does that make sense? Yeah. And sorry, somebody's just um, mentioned in the chat, they say, well, some parents will still use the threat of abandoning their child to make them do what they want. Uh, there is that. I mean, there is that aspect, right? So parents will say, you know, if the kid doesn't want to go, well, that's it. I'm leaving. You can make your own way home. Well, <laughs> that is the threat of abandonment. And that is, I, I genuinely perceived at the very base of our brain, that is perceived as a threat of death. Because, it, I mean, it would be. It, it, you know, with some, I've seen, Parents do this with five-year-olds, four-year-olds. I mean, I'm, I'm leaving you in the, in the jungle, and I'm just going to go back to the, 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 the tribe. Well, that's not going to go very well for the child, right? All right. Yeah, Bill Cosby used to say this, too. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Or, you know, you can be replaced, right? Because you can just have more kids or whatever. And so, yeah, oh, that is yeah. definitely, that is the threat of, um, that is the threat of death. I mean, we would we'd never, you understand, that's, that's an illegal thing to say to an adult. <laughs> it's illegal to threaten to kill an adult. But you can threaten it with a child and, you know, um, it can end up in a sitcom and everyone will laugh. Even though an adult has complete choice about interacting with you, whereas a child has not. So no, really, what I'm saying, Will, is you're not overthinking things. I would, um, <laughs> I would really work to have more sympathy with yourself about that. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I kind of. Uh answers my question <laughs> um I, I understand there's other callers i've been on for a while so i'll let you th thanks for the help i i really appreciate it oh listen you're welcome and listen i'm so sorry this is not how it's not how dads should behave it's not how parents should behave it's not right it's not right it's not right and i'm so sorry that you had to go through that that is that is not how people's childs are just supposed to be and i just i really really want to just express incredible sympathy for that Thanks. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. You're not overthinking. You're self-protecting. Um, and you can, you can change it, but the first thing you need to do is respect it, right? All right. Well, thank you again. A great call. And um, it's always a little nice 
Um, sorry, somebody's asking me what I'm eating. I apologize. <laughs> I'm just having a little bit of pita. Um, so um, it's always, I guess, kind of nice when a theory doesn't completely fall flat on its face. So if you find this theory helpful, uh, I would definitely look into your history about that. So uh, if we can move on to the next caller, I'm all ears. Yep. Uh, Tom, shh, you're up. Uh, hey, what's up? Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, go. All right, cool. Uh, so I'm, I'm going out of the personal sphere now uh, into like more general stuff. It uh, sort, of, sort of relates to what, uh, what you were discussing. Um, it's about uh, this book I was reading. It's uh, called A Brief History of Humanity. It's by, uh, it's by an Israeli author. It's, he's a professor of history in, uh, in uh, the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And uh, he writes uh, it, of the development of the species like right from the beginning, the, the hunter-gatherer to now where, when he thinks there would be like a transhumanist movement and uh, it would go above, uh, above being humans. And there are some interesting concepts in this book, um, especially relative, you know, to, to an Israeli author. And uh, basically what he says that there, when, when humans evolved from groups that contained like over, um, the social instincts that you're born with can only cope with like 150 individuals and to have like millions of people cooperating you need you need a bigger order than that you need you need an imagined order that's bigger than you know acquaintances uh acquaint you know, people knowing each other so you need a bigger thing you need uh you need a religion you need a nation you need uh yeah you need the trade or whatever so everything that's um like in moral like morals and all these stuff they don't have any relevance outside uh human interactions which which is uh one thing and uh the other thing is the is the definition of of religion in his book is the uh making of human rules based on an on a superhuman order like in islam you have the gods in communism you have uh you know social classes or whatever but in uh in the theory of relativity you have a superhuman order but you don't extract rules for for humans from it you know there's not there's no the physicists party or whatever you know and uh, the question is and what uh, the definition of uh, uh, how UPB is affected by uh, by well may, maybe I, I just uh, I need to think more about it I'm uh, I'm getting confused a little bit. The... All right, do you want to do you want to come back on later in the show? Um, yeah, maybe. Okay. Uh, okay. All right, we'll come back later. Um, and the brief answer is that UPB is not affected by the history of ethics.
uh, any more than physics is affected by the history of alchemy, uh, other than that you know that alchemy is not correct because it was not based on the scientific method. It was not testable or reproducible. There was no null hypothesis or failure criterion. So uh, UPB is not affected by the history of ethics. Uh, UPB is not affected by uh, superstition. Um, the, the theory of evolution is not affected by the story of Genesis. And so, um, so yeah, I don't see, again, I'm happy to hear more if you think about something else. But uh, anyway, let's uh, move on to the next caller if we could. All right, Jack, you are up. Hello. Oh, Jack, I'm so sorry. Uh, it just it just came up here that given that we've had complaints that there aren't enough female callers, we're going to have to call you Jacqueline, and you're going to have to do the entire question period uh, in a really bad and probably offensive falsetto. Uh, is that is that okay with you? I don't think that would work. I could do everything except. Oh, voice. come on, give it a shot. Give it a shot. <laughs> can, can can you do a wake? And that way, you might get falsetto. actually an, you might get an offer uh, to go out for dinner from from Will. Uh, anyway. Uh, so please go, go ahead. <clears throat> Sorry, go ahead. Okay, I had a question I wanted to ask you, but then when you mentioned uh, your experience in Morocco, I'd rather talk about that. So that's what I'd want to ask about. Okay. Because it's similar to an experience I had. Um, I had a, a several-year period where I was uh, in a relationship and then engaged and then married to a woman from South America. And my first few ex – actually, pretty much all the times I went down there were very stressful, kind of in the way you described, where you're – you go down there. You don't know the culture. You don't want to offend everybody, but you don't know exactly what to do. So I, I found myself trying to observe every single thing that was going on. And the, the other thing is I, I spoke Spanish not at all the first time I went down there, which made it even harder to uh, make sure I was following the cultural norms. Right. And uh, what I experienced is it was very draining emotionally right. and intellectually. And it was compounded by the fact that her family was extremely large, and they would always throw a big party whenever I was down there. So I'd be down there with uh, you know, like several dozen people all wanting to interact with me. And um, at first it was okay because, you know, I, I'd have enough, you know, I, I don't know, emotional energy or whatever to be able to interact with them to work past the language barrier. But after a while, it was just where I felt completely drained and had to – sometimes I'd have to just go outside away from people to recharge for a few minutes. And I kind of felt bad about it because everyone was still being positive and they just wanted to say hi because I was the exotic foreigner who was dating, you know, one of their family. Uh, I was wondering, is that anything at all like what you were talking about in Morocco? Was there a nickname for you, girl pillaging gringo? Was it something like that? I didn't anyway. hear that at all, but they well, seemed pretty you positive about it. Uh, I, I, I mean, I give you my thoughts, and uh, you know, with with the caveat ahead of time that this is completely politically incorrect. And I'll give you my thoughts. If I have someone who is coming from a foreign culture to come and stay with me, and uh, I pretty much feel that with every status who passes through my threshold, <laughs> but if I have someone from a foreign culture who is coming to stay with me, um, it is incumbent upon me as the host to ensure the comfort of my guest and to understand that. 
my guest is not going to know how to do things and to understand that that is going to cause my guest anxiety. And I find that this is not very common in other cultures. And I will tell you what, what I think. I think that in other cultures, sorry, there's a little bit of background banging. If, if that's you, if you could make sure that doesn't happen or mute yourself, that would be great. Sorry, that's my dogs. I'll mute myself when I'm not talking. It's like your dogs have no sense of Skype etiquette. And so this really just ties into the whole theme. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so in cultures that are more primitive, um, then social status and one-upmanship is the way that things go, right? So if you sort of think of the ghetto culture, the black culture, uh, and I don't mean sort of middle class or educated, but, you know, that sort of stereotypical uh, ghetto black culture, uh, well, rap, and rap is all about braggadocio. Rap is all about one-upmanship, and I'm the best, and I'm the greatest, that Muhammad Ali kind of stuff. And in most cultures that are relatively undeveloped, uh, social status, one-upmanship is... Um, is the way that things go. This is how you get your prestige. This is how you get your self-esteem is to be the dominant alpha male or female or whatever. And so what happens is if, um, if someone comes into your culture who doesn't know your culture, then in a more primitive culture, what will happen is you will laugh at that person's mistakes and you will feel superior because you know the culture and they don't know the culture. And it's a, it's a pretty pathetic way to feel superior, but it's one of the reasons why people don't help you to navigate their own social milieus is they kind of get off on watching you fumble around and make mistakes and not know what to do, and it makes them feel stronger because it makes you look weaker. So that I'm, would be – sorry, go ahead. I'm not sure if that's what I experienced Um they were all very helpful and reassuring, and I think it may have been my own issues, plus just the inherent difficulty of trying to work through so many uh, like language barrier, cultural barriers, uh, and like the sensory overload of being in an environment where everything's different. Well, my question is, though, but why was it, given that you have – I'm certainly glad to hear that about, about your, your wife's family. That's great. But why was it stressful for you? In other words, why was it difficult for you? I mean, when I went to China uh, for business for a couple of weeks, um, actually, I came back from Morocco, spent two nights uh, at home, and then went to, to China. Uh, I was actually supposed to travel with a couple other business people, but they were unable to make it at the last minute. So I ended up just going alone, crossing my fingers that somebody was going to be there to meet me in Beijing. But um, I did not feel that it was stressful being in China and not knowing anything about being in China because I didn't know anything about being in China. I, I didn't feel stressful that I didn't know how to speak Mandarin because I was the big nose foreign person that nobody expected to speak uh, Mandarin. And so my question is, um, why was, like when you're in a situation of not knowing much Spanish, of not knowing the culture, of not, right, why was it uh, stressful? In other words, was there not an unreasonable expectation of competence in a situation where you simply could not conceivably have confidence or ability. Well, I I didn't feel this kind of stress when I was when I when I was traveling in other countries when I was I was doing this when I was in the navy. So I was when I was with other people that I knew just kind of out in touristy areas I didn't feel any stress. It was only the the first time that I felt any stress being overseas was 
when you know she invited me to come visit and I was going by myself into a, a uh, with no one that I knew. So, and then I was in there, you know, I was at their house. I guess that seems a little bit. It's more intimate for sure. Yeah. And what did your uh, wife do to prepare you for this and to prepare other people for your visit? She told them I was coming and that, you know, where I was from, uh, her preparation to me was, Oh, don't worry. It'll be fine. Which is not good preparation, right? Right. And I, I kind of, I tried to prepare myself coming in ahead of time. And, uh, in retrospect, she uh, wasn't all that supportive as she could be because, um, well, a lot of her family was coming from far away and they wanted to see her too. So she wouldn't always uh, help me out as much as I would have liked because she was also doing her own things with her family. Right. Yeah, it's tough to be a guest and to be assertive, but uh, I generally feel that it's um, if the guest is uncomfortable, it's the fault of the hosts. And it shouldn't be your job to 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 be stressed and to try and find a way to, to make it work. I mean, that's not your job. You're the guest, right? And so it's other people's job okay. to make you comfortable. Right. So did they know that you were stressed or did you kind of keep it to yourself? Um, I would pretty much keep it to myself. I would just uh, – sometimes I would just go out uh, – like I said, go outside or uh, just – hang out somewhere while I could uh, recharge a little bit. Can you tell me why this, um, because this remains an issue for you, right? And as you said, that you wanted to talk about this I, rather than your other thing. Well, and I'm just, I'm trying to figure out why. I'm, I'm sure that's a very good reason. I'm just not sure I what don't, it is. I don't have that ex- experience now, but uh, I was actually going to wonder if uh, if you ever experience the, I guess, that emotional draining of trying to deal with lots of people. Like you came, you came here out to West Texas. And that that was in a similar situation, so I was wondering if you uh, had any feeling of stress there, um, trying to maintain the positive um, interaction maybe beyond uh, what you feel comfortable with. No, I mean, I do sometimes feel, not, not exactly stress, but I feel um, that I want to talk to more people individually. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of people who want to chat with me and I want to, but I, I don't want to have like a two hour conversation with everyone. I mean, that's sort of my, uh, my reality, uh, when I'm sort of meeting people, uh, in a group, uh, I, I really like to get to know people and I really want to sort of know what makes them tick and what's important to them. Uh, that's not really possible in much of a, a social group. Um, I do, yeah, I, I, I sometimes do get, um, no, I see. I was just thinking about the Sunday show I did, which was almost three hours the other the other week, and that was uh, that was a little tiring, just because it's it's a lot of concentration. Um, because I don't, it's easier to talk to people when you can see them. Uh, when you're just listening, uh, it's hard, right? You've got to try and figure out whether the other person, whether you're sort of hitting the other person's issues without being able to see them. That takes a lot of concentration for me, at least. But uh, I don't, uh, I don't feel that. Uh, the only thing that I do feel sometimes when I'm in a group of libertarians is um, I'm not. I mean, the the areas, uh, the two areas, you know, where I probably have the most uh, disagreement, I guess there are three areas where I would have disagreement with a lot of libertarians, which is sort of political activism, parenting, and um, religion. And so uh, sometimes I wonder the degree to which I feel comfortable speaking my mind fully about those things. I try to be as honest and open as I can, but uh, that that's something I sort of navigate a little bit uh, sometimes. 
so you're you're surrounded by people and you don't know how well necessarily they're going to receive you potentially hostile or well not me i mean it's it's not personal right so let's say that i you know talk about something the subject of spanking comes up and there are a couple of parents around the table who've spanked their kids or maybe still spank their kids uh, it's not me that they would be upset by because I didn't invent whether spanking is good or bad, right? It's not, you know, if I, if I show them a painting I did, then that's more personal. But if I'm the vehicle for the facts, you, there is always the concern that people will attack the messenger. Right. You know, yeah, so like when I, I say, I, hey, I look, adult relations are voluntary and you don't have to spend time with abusive people, which everyone accepts in a marriage situation, but very few people accept in a parent-child situation when everyone's an adult. Well, it's just a fact. Uh, and but people have a habit of shooting the messenger sometimes, so that can be a bit of a concern. But it's not personal to me. You know, if somebody gets upset about a spanking thing, it's not personal to me. They may try and make it personal to me, but it's not my fault that spanking is bad for kids. I mean, I didn't design the human brain. I didn't figure out human uh, physiology. I didn't, you know, figure out how much cortisol should be in this. I mean, I, I'm not responsible for the fact that the state is evil or. Uh, abuse is destructive or spanking is bad uh, for kids. Um, these are just the facts. And uh, But th there is a little bit, you know, and I'm not, it's not my fault that there's no God. <laughs> it really right. is my fault that there's no God. I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's not, you know, I mean, but but people, you know, doctor comes and says, you have cancer. And they say, you gave me cancer. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> it's not my fault. It's just the what it is, right? I, I guess I, under, I understand your, your explanation and it makes sense. I'm just wondering: is it is it really possible for in that moment where they you know they look at you and you see the hostility, is it really possible to to not take that personally, even if it's just for a second? Well, no. I, I think we may be talking about two different things. Um, I certainly feel that there could be a negative outcome that would be unpleasant. For me, I mean, obviously, nobody wants to walk around making people upset, right? So it could be, it could be that there will be a, a result to that interaction which may be negative to me, but that's what I'm concerned about, not whether the person is going to attack me, but rather the negative outcome. I mean, if I were bothered by personal attacks, I would have, you know, <laughs> quit this crazy gig years ago, right? But um, but still, it doesn't mean that I'm out there looking for negative reactions and you know awkwardness and whatever, right? Right. I, I guess I just had the idea that it, it would have to be really stressful to go out in public like you have, because no. because when I, uh, I yeah I just even when I, even online where you're disconnected from the other people, you can get really hostile reactions back to these ideas. Sure. And they're able to affect me even though I can't see the person. So I was just – I was thinking that you being out, putting yourself in front of audiences that you don't know how they're going to react had to be draining somehow. No, stressful. it's not. No, I, I love it. Uh, I love meeting people. Um, I love doing the public speaking now. I'm getting more used to it. Um, I, I'm eager and happy to, to do it. And I genuinely do really like – the um the interactions with people because even the negative interactions can be can be positive they're just negative in the moment right you know like you stub your toe you're like shit that's painful but then you say well maybe next time i'll turn the light on when i'm walking around the living room right so even the negative interactions have turned out to be very positive uh, in, in my mind and so um so no it's not it's not stressful for me i eagerly look forward to i mean in in texas uh, i tried to make myself as available as i could for people who wanted to chat and that wasn't that of you know i'm not getting paid for that it's not a duty or obligation it's a genuine pleasure i mean i love 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 to meet 
to meet the listeners and to hear you know how philosophy is working or not working for them or and and how they got into it and why they think they're into it and stuff like that um it's not stressful like i'm eager uh, i am eager to do it the only thing that i don't do is you know i sort of try and usually have a nap before a speech uh, but other than that um it's not stressful it's a it's a genuine and deep pleasure and i i do it more often if i could oh. well that i wish i could get to that point where i don't uh, feel all those uh like you stub your toe, I, that I didn't feel those quite as much, or that they didn't linger as long. Right, right. Well, um, uh, there are times where they've lingered longer for me, for sure. But um, it really is just a matter of going back to the basics. Um, I, you know, and and remembering that at least for me, I sort of say, well, look, I try to have integrity with the facts. I really do. The great thing about having integrity with the facts is that if people get upset, then they're not, they're upset at the facts. Now, they don't try and make it about you, but they're upset at the facts. And uh, so, so that's, I think that's an important thing to, to remember that philosophy is not personal any more than science is personal. I mean, there are aspects about some people are more drawn to ethics, some people are more drawn to aesthetics, some people are more drawn to epistemology or metaphysics. There are things that you may be more drawn to, like you, you know. The fact that science is impersonal doesn't mean that you have no preference about being a biologist versus a geologist or a physicist or a chemist or whatever. So there's, you know, personal drives in the realm of it, but they're just facts. And if people get upset at um, at facts, um, I have sympathy for that. I mean, it means it tells me everything about how they were raised, but um, it's not it's not about me. Uh, I mean, if I've made a mistake in my argument or I've made a mistake. Uh, in quoting the facts. Uh, oh, yeah, that reminds me. Uh, so when I did my Screw Talent uh, video, somebody pointed out that the guy who raised his kids to be uh, chess players was Hungarian, not Russian. So thank you. I appreciate that. And um, anyway, so um, it, it's just it's important to remember that you, we have to hook, we have to hook our brains into reality, right, which is what the purpose of philosophy is. So it's right. not, you know, I like red, you like orange. Damn that orange. That orange is highly offensive to me or whatever. It's like that's a little more personal because you like, right? But it is. It's very different from I like, right? I mean, so the statement of religion is I like to believe there's a God, right? The statement right. of philosophy is there are no gods. And the I like is what is personal. And people who attack you at the personal level, all they're doing is they're confessing that their own beliefs are in the category called I like, I prefer, I want, I need, not it is. When somebody has a foundation in reality that is personal, in other words, it's in social reality, it's not in real reality, when they base their metaphysics on the opinions of the tribe – then all beliefs are personal, and therefore, if somebody else's beliefs contradict their beliefs, they go for the person, because their own beliefs are personal. And of course, nobody wants to believe in the bullshit of the tribe. No child is born wanting to believe in the bullshit of the tribe. The reason that children end up believing the bullshit of the tribe is because they get attacked and rejected if they don't. And so a belief is based upon attack and rejection. So if you contradict that person's belief as an adult, if they haven't done any self-work, then they will react with attack because that's how their beliefs were formed was through attack. So if you want to change someone's mind, you have to attack them. You can't appeal to reason and evidence because your own beliefs are not based on reason and evidence, right? You live by the sword, you die by the sword. So I think that's, that's important to remember. I guess I just have a hard time uh, translating 
the un- intellectual understanding of what they're doing into not uh, taking it personally when when you get the emotional attack back. Uh, and maybe that just comes with practice. Well, it just you just have to again you have to just keep focusing. I mean, look, I get probably about a hundred insults a day. That's and that's a lot. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's that's the that's the nature of the beast, right? I mean, I'm I'm sad that it's only a hundred. Uh, I wish it were more, because that would be that <laughs> I would be telling uh, even more uh, even more truth, right? But I get you know about about a hundred insults a day, and uh, you know they're about the way that I look, they're about the how that I sound, they're about uh, whatever, right? And um, it's, uh, but, you know, but, but my, my question is always, well, where, where's the argument? You know, I mean, does somebody have an argument uh, that, uh, that they can appeal? Have I made a mistake in reason or in evidence? And if they don't have an argument, then it's got nothing to do with me. And it certainly has nothing to do with the truth, right? Right. Right. So here's one from uh, uh, on my uh, on the the chat I had with uh, with Lorette. Stephbot equals deluded egotist. I think he means egoist, and it's it's true. I mean, it's sad but true that the people who are the most insulting are the people who have the least grasp of, of grammar. So Stephbot equals deluded egotist, unfunny shite quote philosophy with followers who are mostly gullible, confused sorts who just believe every word he utters as truth. Sad, right? So I probably get about a hundred of those a day in one form or another, and what does that have to do with anything? I mean, there's there's no argument there. There's no you know he's made errors here, here, and here. It's just it's just somebody spewing venom for you know for you know for whatever reason that they have right. The ideas are threatening or whatever right. And of course, it tells you a lot that somebody is continuing to watch something that they find so ridiculous right. I can't right. believe he said this crap in this video. I must watch another one. It's like, no. <laughs> no, you really don't. I can't believe they shit in my sandwich at this restaurant. I must go and order another sandwich. No, you really don't <laughs> have to go and order another sandwich if they shit in your last sandwich. But that is, um, you know, does that have anything to do with me? Of course not. Yeah, it, it seems so easy intellectually. It, it, putting it into practice, though, I guess for me, just seems difficult in that moment it it does hurt when people recoil back at you even if it doesn't have anything to do with you yeah i wouldn't i mean i wouldn't say that it hurts um what i think is i mean i mean this sounds all kinds of zen and you know but but it's true is what i think is that's really sad how sad that is i mean imagine that person's history i'm not saying that they have no responsibility I'm, i'm not of course right but Nobody who was raised with any kind of decency would be that way, right? right? All he's doing is he's telling me this is the shit that goes on in my head that was dumped in there in my childhood. And I am helpless now in the face of these voices. And I have got to point this flamethrower at you for five seconds because I'm so fucking tired of getting burned all the time. I just have to point it at you and burn you because it gives me a few seconds of relief from the living goddamn torment that is my soulless existence. How awful. To have a monkey that attacks you so consistently that the only way you can get any relief is to throw it at somebody else before it inevitably boomerangs back and goes for your own jugular again. What a horrible existence. 
yeah, I, I guess maybe I'm just taking it. It's harder for me to not take it personally based on my own experiences in the past that I still need to deal with. Yeah, because that's the, I mean, only, look, that's the only it, difference I can think of. No, it's a, it's about avoidance, right? It's about avoidance, right? Because if you if you had people like this in your past when you were a kid, you couldn't avoid them, whether they were in school or they were in church or they were in your house or whatever. You couldn't avoid them. Right. But now, but as an adult, you can't. Right. Yeah, I can avoid them, but if I want to talk about these ideas, then I'm going to run into them. So there's kind of a conflict there. I could completely avoid them by just not not talking about anything in public. But I have this other desire to talk about these things, which means it's going to bring me back into contact with people like that. Sure. Yeah. And, and you don't have to, you don't have to talk about these ideas. Yeah. Or you can do it anonymously on a blog where you don't allow comments and don't publish your address or whatever. Right. Right. But yeah, that's not very satisfying. So it's, I have I have conflicting desires that I just have to work out. Yeah, and listen, I wouldn't do it until you're ready. I wouldn't do it until you can keep some sort of perspective for sure, because otherwise you'll be scared off philosophy by the trolls, and that's 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 the loss for everyone. It's a loss even for the trolls, right? Right. It's a uh, it's a little okay, bit. Sorry, easier somebody just sent me a, another one. Just popped in just in my inbox. I wasn't sort of looking at it, but it just popped up. Uh, somebody just wrote on my Coney 2012, just another government program video. Somebody wrote, I just lost a lot of respect for you, Steph. You are clearly out of your element on this one. And part of me is like, um, well, tell me how. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, you know, don't show me some leg and, you know, <laughs> don't, don't flirt and no date, right? I mean, tell me, tell me how, but they never do, right? What they do is they want to put out these kind of provocative, like, oh my goodness, I am out of my, it's like, but I, you know, I can't be moved without reason and evidence. It can't be moved. So somebody's just going to say that, oh my God, you're clearly out of your element on this one. It's like, but what does that mean? How does that, no, my, my question is, does that help me correct something in a future video? Uh, in this I I video, I plan to be in my element <laughs> rather than out of it. Because it, it doesn't, right? It doesn't, it, it, there's, there's no content. There's nothing. It's not even a cry for help. It's just, a minor eruption from an ancient agony on the part of another. Because when, when people sort of say, well, you, you're wrong, I have no respect for you, or you get these ones, yeah, I'm out of here, unsubbed. You know, it's like, you've lost, lo you've lost a subscriber. It's like, and I'm so sorry because your, your statements were so helpful that I'm sad to see you go. It's like, you know, and don't let your, you know, the, uh, the door hit your ass on the way out, right? Because it's not, there's no facts, right? I mean, just you have to just scare yourself. I will not be moved except for reason and evidence. Well, and insults. Um, the other thing too is that I think that we have, um, you know, uh, let's not underestimate the degree to which people who frighten us also anger us as well, and we want vengeance against them. That's the, that's how people get drawn into like troll troll casting, right? This is how they get drawn into the troll swamp is they want to punish the people and expose them and and make them feel bad and and revenge against them and so on. But that's the great thing about being a moralist. Um, you know, the, the Christians get to be nice uh, and, and turn the other cheek because Satan is going to burn people's hides to a crisp for all fucking eternity, right? So they can project all of their anger and desire for vengeance onto the devil, right? And so they can be sort of nice and smiley because the devil's going to do their dirty work of vengeance, right? But, I mean, I know, uh, I'm old enough now to know what the conscience, what the conscience of bad people turns into and how their lives go. I mean, 
if this is how people act, right, that they sort of send these insulting, nasty, venomous, empty, I mean, uh, they're, I know how their lives are going to go. I know how their lives are going right now. And I am never cruel enough. I mean, I'm never cruel enough to imagine a punishment as bad as hell, but I'm also never as cruel enough to imagine a punishment as bad as the people experience within their own hearts in these kinds of uh, situations. So, Anyway, listen, I want to make sure we get on to the other callers, if that's all right with you, because we have only 40 minutes left on the show, but I hope this was somewhat helpful. All right. Well, uh, next up we have Henry. Oh, I'm going to add somebody on the phone. Sorry. It's your first name, John. Please let me do a little Harry Belafonte. Just a tiny little. (laughs) My second name's John. Henry John. He could hammer. He could whistle. He could sing. Anyway, go ahead. So basically, uh, oh, I'm a call-in virgin. I've never done a call-in show on radio before in my life. Well, and I'm afraid, uh, given that this is not radio, (laughs) you remain. Whatever. (laughs) Right. So uh, basically, I'm like about 58. Um, my parents came over from Holland, Roman Catholic, very authoritarian family and stuff like that. And then we went through all the different things. They, they were strongly liberal um, in Canada, went, forced us to go to church all the time until we finally Sorry, let's forced- clarify that because liberal means something different in the U.S. It's not oh, entirely I know. different. But you mean Liberal Party, not sort of like Liberal? Yeah, li- like Liberal Party in Canada. They would always vote Liberal Party. Right. So, um, and where am I going through? So basically, I've been down in the States for about 13 years, uh, down in California. And right after 9-11, like things just changed totally. Like before that, I'd bring the kids down. I'd just walk through the airport security, go pick them up at the, uh, the gate. Uh, anyone coming to visit, I could just walk into the gate. And things are just getting really, really shut down down there. So I started listening to a few programs that a coworker gave me, like Alex Jones and Rents and stuff like that. And then I started following Daily Coast, Huffington Post, and find them just totally left-leaning, and they were totally censoring everything they were doing. So during the last election, I was kind of hopeful for Obama, but I was looking really? a lot at – yeah. I was. That's so sweet. I, was, I mean, that's lovely. Anyway, go on. Yeah, I was. I was uh, looking a lot at Ron Paul, and but I couldn't talk to any of my friends about Ron Paul because, right, like, this was Berkeley, California. If I mentioned Ron Paul, like, they would just like throw me in the bay. Yeah, it's like so, he's in the same bag as David Duke and Greg. They just don't. Right? Oh yeah, talk yeah. About it. There's no arguments. It's just yeah. Yeah, that's right. a, that's another funny thing. I've actually listened to a bunch of David Duke's videos and stuff, and a lot of things he makes kind of sense on. And then the Tea Party came in and the radical right took over. Um, so that was done. So I'm, I've basically always been anti-authoritarian because of my father and actually my teachers and stuff like that during school because I was kind of the runt of the school. So everyone would kind of chase me, beat the fuck out of me. Oh, can I say that on, on here? Um, I, we prefer motherfucker, but – and I found a really good defensive mechanism. I would run off school property and mm. they wouldn't follow me because they were all afraid of the authoritarians. But then once once a principal got me, that was it. I got strapped, sent home, all that crap. So I've always been anti-authoritarian. So now I've been listening to your program for about two years, a lot of like when you were broadcasting in the car and stuff. 
Whoa, old and, school. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, w- I was thinking I was kind of becoming a mit- minicarist, whatever you call it. Uh, what and, we say is we say minicarist, and then we sort of spit uh, into yeah, the corner. Okay. No, I'm kidding. Come on. But right now I, I've been looking at more of the anarchist side, and um, it just seems to make sense to me. So a lot of the people, like suddenly that all kind of came together, like um, uh, Colbert from Colbert Report, John Irving, um, all these different guys. So I've been kind of following their actions lately. So I I have a couple questions for you. Go for Uh, it. Okay. Can you ever foresee a state and a stateless system coexisting? Or is there going to have to be like a a total crash of the state system in order for the stateless system to come come out? I, I I've, I've been listening to a lot of your programs, and you say, yeah, it's not going to happen in my generation. Maybe maybe in two or three generations. But can you see a kind of a a slow progression, or does it have to be all all or one all or nothing? Well, I think I think it's you know this is really theoretical, but I'll I'll share with you my thoughts. I think that it's not going to be very easy. Yes, for, I understand uh, that. If, no, it's not going to be easy for a stateless society to be next to a, a government society. It's not going to be easy. Okay. The reason is, of course, that um, people are going to want to come to the stateless society, right? Right. Well, there was also, and so there's going to be a loss of tax livestock as they pour over the border, right? I mean, if you know, there's, there'd be no better way than to give Americans empathy for Mexicans than for Canada to become a stateless society, right? Because then they'd be all looking to get over here, and they'd, they'd be getting um, uh, people to um, to help mules to get them help them over, and they're just sneaking out and trying to you know stashing their gold up their butts and to get out of America, whatever, right? And uh, so, I mean, I, 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 even liberalization seems to be tough, right? So I think America puts a lot of pressure on Canada to keep drugs illegal. Uh, although Canada, I think, would be much more likely to go the uh, European, if not the Portuguese model, where drug addicts are viewed as people who need to be helped rather than criminals who need to be caged. And, um, but, of course, if, if Canada did become – They almost brought uh, it through, didn't they? Uh, yeah. they, there's been several initiatives, yeah, and of course the majority, of the, as far as I know, the majority of the, paper, of the Canadian population does favor decriminalization, at least of marijuana. And yeah, um, uh, so, uh, so you know, the, the question is if there was, a, if, you know, the Canada was a stateless society tomorrow, uh, then you could basically, anyone could move here and just come and live here and they could come and work here and they could buy houses and they could enter into contracts and they wouldn't need a passport and they wouldn't need um, uh, to register with the government. They wouldn't need social security cards or insurance cards or, you know, any of these, any of the status paraphernalia and they wouldn't have to pay taxes and, right, I mean, so it would be a Mecca. I mean, if you think of how many people fled the hellhole of uh, 18th and 19th century Europe to come to America and America was... I mean, relative to now, pretty virtually stateless. I mean, you basically would would pass your quarantine uh, test on Ellis Island and then just go to it, right? You didn't need a passport. You didn't need work papers. didn't need a green card. didn't have to register for income taxes. None of that shit, right? And the whole world swarmed to America. And the best and the brightest and the hardest working, they all swarmed to America. Anybody with two gumptions to rub together ran to America. And that changed the history of course, of um, uh, of Europe considerably. It's hard to imagine that Europe would have had the same 20th century history had they not lost the majority of their best people to come 
to i mean you would you have had the same massive world wars and all that kind of crap uh if um people had not so uh so people had not fled to the u.s so uh so i i think that there would be a challenge having a neighboring country um because the neighboring country would have to put a lot of restrictions on people right so if, if canada became a stateless society then america would have to start putting a lot of restrictions like if you go to canada we're going to freeze your bank account until you return or whatever it is right you can't take gold out you can't travel over and they would so what would happen is the fences would which are which are completely visible to the legal mind would actually start to become visible to the general livestock mind and that is not governments want to pretend that it's patriotism that keeps you there not guns and so um, what happened when, when neighboring countries become more appealing, the real defenses start to rise up around the country to, to have people not leave. And right. so that's a, um, that's a problem. Uh, so there would be a lot of pressure brought to bear. But the question is, of course, brought to bear on who? If there's no government, you can't bring pressure to bear on any particular entity. So, uh, so I think it's more likely that it's going to happen uh, in a sort of more gradual way. Um, well, I mean, the general, the general gist of my idea is that, you know, children are raised better, which means you have far fewer social problems. When you have far fewer social problems like crime and, and, uh, drug use and addictions and, you know, divorces and, and all of this mess, right? When you have far fewer social dysfunctions, eventually, eventually the social institutions will have to adapt. I mean, they can hang on like grim death for a hell of a long time because they're the government, so they don't respond to market forces. But eventually, people are going like, well, okay, wait a second here. Why do we have a war on drugs when we have so, so few drug users? Why do we have um, uh, a welfare state when we have so few poor people? Um, so eventually, people will just say, look, we don't, we don't need this stuff anymore. Uh, we don't need the overhead of the state because society is getting – you've got to heal society and then you can get rid of the state. You can't get rid of the state and wait for society to heal itself. That's just not right. right? You take the Band-Aid off after the wound has healed. <laughs> and so you heal society and then the state will be shrugged off as not unnecessary. And so, so – sorry, go ahead. So it doesn't take like 100% of the population to be switched over. I, I forget where I read on it. Like it's 10 to 20% if, if they're – hooked on an idea they can change society over no no it's not it's not about changing people's minds you can't change people's minds because people don't think well you can you can educate people no you can't educate people about a stateless society because people can't think what you can do is you can appeal to people to stop hitting their children and you can appeal to people to stop uh, um, neglecting and abusing their children and abandoning their children to daycare. And you can nag at them to stay home and you can nag at them to, you know, defer getting a three, three, 3,500 square foot house, you know, rather than spend time with the children. You can make that the social norm. But and then children will, sorry, and, then children will grow. Over. No, but I, you're I, not converting anyone. What you're doing is we have to raise yeah, but, children but you, who are. Let me finish. You've helped, you've Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. You have to raise children who are capable of thinking. Before we can reason with them. And right now, certainly adults, very few of them are capable of any kind of rationality. And we know this from the bomb in the brain stuff. HTTP colon www.ftrurl.com forward slash BIB. But so from the bomb in the brain stuff, we know that there are very few people who are capable of rationality. Now, if children are raised with less aggression and greater parental connections and intimacy, then those children will be capable of reasoning. Now, they'll still grow up with all the status propaganda, but they will be capable of much more rationality than the current population is capable of. And then rational arguments can win. Right now, we're speaking to people in English who don't speak English. 
we have to have them grow up speaking English so that they can actually listen to the arguments we're making in English. And so when we're speaking the, the language of reason, we need people who are able to potentially speak the language of reason, and that is not at all uh, a significant population uh, within the human species at the moment. It's tiny, tiny, tiny number of people who are actually able to listen to reason. And so, yeah, so the way that it happens is we get parents to treat their children better, <laughs> or we, we make that case, we make that encouragement. And part of that is through the voluntarism within the family, right? I mean, lots, some parents won't, right? So, so when women gained the right of divorce, then some men started treating them better, not because they had innately been converted to the ideas of rational feminism, but because they were afraid their wives were going to leave them. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes for people to stop hitting their kids and yelling at their kids, we have to do. And then those kids will grow up with the capacity to reason. And then we can make the arguments, but I don't believe it's possible to make the arguments at the moment. I'm sorry for, for speaking over you. I'll, I'll shut up now. No, no, that's no problem. But um, I – well, I'm looking at your past and you grew up in a very bad family and stuff and yet you were able to come out of it. I'm looking at my past. It was very authoritarian. I've gone through a lot of different cycles and stuff. I've done a lot of reading and I'm coming out of it. So maybe there won't be – millions of people that will come and see the light, but I think there are a lot that will. And I, I think by your last statement, you were kind of writing them all off and saying that the only direction we can go is through the children, which I totally agree with is changing the whole concept of how we raise children and how we educate children. But I, I still think that in order to get the children into the new system, you still have to do some re-education on the parents to say, don't hate your kids, stuff like that. So there, there still has to be a higher level education in society in order to make it come through. Does that make any sense or am I just well, – Yeah, I mean of course I'm not writing off everyone. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing my show, right? Yeah, yeah. And, but let and, me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Was, okay. your, um, was your enlightenment a process of rationality? Or was there an emotional component to it that you felt made you more open to these ideas? Uh, let me think. It's probably a bit of both, but I, I think it was more the logic of it. Because when you broke it down into the two simple facts that there's uh, non-aggression and property rights and the logic – I'm a computer scientist, so – and there was no logic that that worked anymore. Like – Everything built in society fails under those two premises right now because – And sorry except, to interrupt, but – Except sorry, our, our social interactions and stuff like that, they, they're, they're working fine because everyone's socializing. Everyone's kind of getting along until you've got this damn government on top of you. So, right. Well, let me ask you this. When you were a child, were you spanked? Yeah. Uh, oh, Yeah. One of my fondest memories was my brother getting hit in the head with a vacuum cleaner hose. So it, oh, it, was, so it, it was pretty aggressive. But I never so spanked. You, and, sorry, go ahead. But I, I've got three kids. They're all, they're all in their 20s now. I want to talk to you a bit about that later. But um, I think I remember spanking them once. And I never did timeouts or anything like that. It was very non-aggressive. And we get Why do you think you did um, – well, first of all, congratulations. First of all, I'm so sorry about your childhood. And secondly, congratulations on that, the choices you made. Magnificent. But why do you think you made those uh, different choices? 
I'm not saying causal like determinists or anything, but what factors? Because a lot of people don't, right? But what factors do you think? I, I have no idea. I just didn't want to do it. I, I just hated I, – I really dis, disliked authoritarians. I hated my principal. I didn't like my dad because I always thought he was mean. I didn't like cops. <laughs> I don't like government. Right. Even though I was kind of voting liberal all the time and big government. Yeah, but you didn't but, you didn't not hit your kids because you don't like cops. There was there had to be something else, right? Because that's a very different choice from how you were raised. I have no idea why what triggered me never to hit my kids. Well, I, well, I think, my, my, my I, guess, I get it, sorry, I get it my, a few times, but I, yeah, I, I know. I but I mean, but, relative to how you were raised, it was very minor. My suggestion would be this: you know, What do I know? To, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Well, I guess you've gone through the same situation because you were. From your old interviews and stuff, you were kind of abused by your your mother and stuff, and and yet you are totally non-aggressive to your kids. So you kind of came around. But that's that. because I remember. Oh, I remember very well. Yeah. Right, and it's I because remember, you remember. I think it was. Yeah. I think it was that hit on the head with my brother. That yeah. that just like threw me, and it was just right. such anger coming out of my father and stuff. Right. So you remember what it was like to be in those situations. You remember the, the fear, the, the horror, the anger, the helplessness. The, you remember all of that big bundle of right. negative yeah, it's, experiences. It's, it's, it's and so you don't want to do that to other people, right? Right. But there's a lot of people. I mean, I've talked to them on the show. A lot of people who are like, I don't remember anything before I was 10. Yeah. Oh, well, I, that's dangerous, right? That's dangerous because it means then that you don't – I mean, we assume you – not blocking things out that were great fun. You were simply blocking things out that were bad. But it means then if you don't have any empathy, if you can't have any empathy for yourself when you were a child as an adult, right, thinking back, if you can't remember what it was like to be a child, then it's much more likely that you will inflict whatever horrors experience on you on someone else because you, you don't have the emotional empathy and, and, and memory to not do that, right? Right. So I think it's got something to do with um, – Memory. I've done a podcast called Morality is Memory or something like that, which is basically the same argument. Now, I don't know what's different about why some people can remember what happened to them as kids. And other people, they either don't remember or they remember some super cool, alienated, weird, dissociated retelling of their childhood. Like, oh yeah, you know, it was, you know, my, my mom used to chase us around with a wooden spoon and we'd try and get away and, you know, we just thought it was ridiculous. And right. So they kind of recast it as this that Keystone was Pops, Tom and Jerry kind of bonk on the head kind of stuff. Right. And of course, a lot of the violence that was in those kinds of uh, kids shows in the past uh, were a lot to do with the need to recast violence as some sort of game or some sort of Ha ha! Wasn't it? You know, you know, whatever, right? It turned into a, a battle of wills or a game or something like that. And so, if you, I mean, since you can remember what it was like, then I'm sure that was key in not reinflicting it. Right. I've I've also never been an aggressive person. Like I run a, run away and hide in front of the school rather than fight. But oh, and one other point on my first thing is. You had the show on Somalia, which was kind of showing how a stateless society can run for a while. And then, yeah, sure enough, they found some natural resources and took it over. So I don't remember if you remember making that show. I do. I'm just not sure why we're going to Somalia just at the moment. Oh, because it's it was a stateless society for a while. So it did exist for a period of time. 
Uh, yeah, sorry. It just seemed like we whipped right out of here. Yeah, I know. I, I, know. I, I was, <laughs> you know, that. sorry. <laughs> Where did we go there? I, I, I have my Are little points. I got I have, teleported. I had my little points in the computer, so right. I had to go right. back. No, well, Somalia originally Somalia was a state society, and then it became a stateless society. And, right. Uh, What's it somebody was saying, you know, it's good to say, if, just, if you love anarchism so much, why don't you move to Somalia? It's like, well, if you love government so much, why don't you move to North Korea? Anyway, yeah. <laughs> point that out. Okay, so the next one's my son. He's doing like history, politics, double major. Uh, he used to be much more kind of normal, but now he's becoming super big government. And he's saying, oh, we can't survive without big government, blah, 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 blah. He, and, and last weekend, I actually talked to him and he says, yeah, yeah, the government would never stage 9-11. I'm going, what? Like five years ago, you said, yeah, it was obvious they did it. So I'm kind of wondering if you have uh, – let me see. Well, I can tell you why I think that's happening. Well, I, I think it's the education system. I think he's being I brainwashed. I wouldn't say that. Oh, no, okay. I wouldn't say that. No, I would, uh, I would argue it's because he knows he's going to end up in some state-supported or state-protected profession. I mean, what's he yeah, going to do yeah, with he, his in politics, right? He's right. going to have to end up being an academic or a policy wonk or, you know, he's going to be, you know, he's, he's locked in the death orbit around the state now, right? I mean, unless he's going to go, you know, take his history degree and be a software entrepreneur like I did. That's but, a good um, point. So it's self-preservation. I, I never – Yeah, it's like, well, this is uh, – I know I'm going to have to hang around the mafia, so yeah. uh, I guess I'll just say that they're okay. Yeah. So that would be my suggestion. You can ask him about that. You know, what is it you plan to do? I mean, I guarantee you that it's going to end up having to be some sort of state-dependent position. So, you know, well, I he, think he's just he, he wants building to that his, bridge ahead of him. He wants to do his PhD and stuff like that, and he wants to become a, a teacher. Well, a professor, right? A teacher or professor. Well, if he doesn't get his PhD, then he would just become a teacher or something like that. Yeah, and everybody and, who wants to go into the educational profession knows that it's, you know, it's lefty socialist hell, right? Yeah. I mean, unless he's going to so, go teach economics at George Mason University or something, that's where he's going to be, right? Yeah. So, anyways, uh, I remember. I'm so sorry. I do want to. We've got another couple of callers, and I want to. We've had a fair amount of chat. I just want to make sure I get to the other callers, and you're certainly welcome to call back. But uh, I, okay. you know, a great chat. I really, I appreciate some great, great thoughts about that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Jimmy, Jamie, Bomby, Bomb. Let's get to the next caller. I'm not going to dignify that with a response. No. Oh, uh, next on. up, we have we have Ben, and then after that, we have a phone caller. Phone well, caller. Well, hi, Steph. Ben. My name's Ben, and I'm a ben, stater. Ben, why did you only fold five and not six? I don't understand that. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, well, uh, I'm a, I, too, am a virgin caller um, and uh, really excited to be on the show. Uh, well, actually, my first time – Well, let me sprinkle a little of this powder into your drink. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um just a little background. I think I'm probably unique among your listeners. Uh, my journey kind of started. I read this book called Atlas Shrugged. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, Sorry, how do you spell that? Uh, I, I, I think it's a. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's been a while. Um, but uh, so. I started with Rand, and I actually came from an evangelical Christian background uh, as a younger person, and I was I was a Southern Baptist till about 16 and uh, Red Rand kind of started opening up and that was a coming from the background I did it was like uh, taking crowbars to my eyes to open them gradually it was a very (laughs) very gradual process Um, and in the last 16 months I'd say it it kind of accelerated a lot Uh, 
the 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 soil was kind of loosened up a little bit. And then I was actually in college a little over a year ago uh, pursuing this liberal arts uh, ideal of 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 an education and. Um, I was studying political economy, and I I happened upon a young girl's face uh, YouTube account, and she was talking about a Nathaniel Brandon book, and we started talking about psychology, and she kept mentioning your name, and I was like, who the hell is this guy? She was talking about like you left and right, so I started watching your videos, and 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 the last year or so, I've I've uh, spent uh, too many hours on YouTube doing that, and um, so that that actually led me to drop out of school. Um, I moved back to my home state of Virginia. I got a job, got two jobs, uh, moved out of my house so I wouldn't be financially hostage to my parents to, uh, to, to, so that I could kind of express my own uh, beliefs a little bit more. I was, I was having to go to church on a weekly basis just because I was not independent. And that was uh, just wanted mm-hmm. to have the esteem to look in the mirror to, to know I, I didn't, I, I, I could say no if I, if I wanted to. And, um, so it's been kind of a whirlwind. I've moved like three times, and now I'm out in Indiana on a new job. And uh, so on the surface, the past year or so has probably been the most radical changes in my life that I've had. And, and on the surface, as I look back, I can kind of count some of the accomplishments and, and have some pride in all that. But um, I, I know I want more. And I know I'm capable of more. And there's things I need to do. Uh, that Sorry, I more what? Do. Excuse me. Sorry, more what? Well, I, I, like I, I, I've read, I've read some of Brandon's books and and um, and some of Alice Miller's books, and and um, there are proactive things I could do in my daily life to improve my emotional health, things that some habits I should work on developing. I, I, if, if, I take, if I listed them all off, I would take the last 15 minutes of the show, and I don't want to do that. Um, I, my question I'm getting to is this. I, I know that coming from my background, I, I, I have a boatload of issues. I've got mom issues. I've got, I've got a ton of things I could work on and I need help with, and I need coaching. And I would love to get into psychotherapy. My question for you is, um, as a person with relatively limited purchasing power today, and with psychotherapy <laughs> being a good way of putting it, right? right. Yeah, <laughs> with psychotherapy being as expensive as it is often, uh, you know, my insurance would cover three meetings a year if I'm about to kill myself or something like that. Um, and uh, so, finding a person, I, I feel like. It's important to find someone who is ethically, philosophically, and and maybe even in terms of uh, in terms of uh, statism, on the same page and coming from the same worldview. When we're starting to tear into my psyche and try to figure myself out, I want someone to be to understand to see that those things in the same light as I do before we. Uh, start such an intense project. My question for you is, how would you recommend finding a person to do that with, a professional to go through those things with? And is there, is there an option out there for a young 20-something who doesn't have a ton of money uh, as far as being able to finance that? Because I, that, that's, that's the most intimidating thing. I'd love to go live on the street and sell drugs and get psychotherapy from Nathaniel Brandon in LA, but I'm, I, I can't do that. So, um, 
what would you suggest? And it, it, if you have any suggestions. Yeah. I mean, there's things, I mean, there's things that you can do to, to make therapy more uh, efficient, I think, you know, this is all just my idiot amateur opinion, but so, so you can, uh, you mean Nathaniel Brandon's got workbooks and, um, uh, other people have, have got, uh, got workbooks that can be very helpful. And so, uh, you can work through those. You can, um, uh, keep a dream journal and, and try and figure out what your dreams are about. I think that can be very, very helpful. And, uh, John Bradshaw has got some good books, I think for, for working through uh, stuff like that. Um, I think you can start to make lists and, you know, if I were in your shoes, I'd say, okay, well, how was my worldview shaped through religion? What, what do I believe about the world? What do I believe about virtue? What do I believe what about worldview shaped by religion? <laughs> no, you know, I look, I mean, obviously religion didn't teach you how to dial a phone, right? So there's certain things like Sharia law doesn't no. tell you well, how, how, what the cycle of your traffic lights should be. But there is, um, right, but, but you have a view of humanity. You know, I think this is essential for everyone. I'm sort of glad that you brought it up. I think that it's, um, it's essential for everyone. Well, okay, so tell me, uh, a human being is good, evil, or neutral? What's, what are your thoughts on that? Ooh, human uh, nature. Yeah, the, the Christian upbringing would tell me evil. Um, I, I, my, but but my, so that's important, right? That, that's right. A, sorry to interrupt you right after you ask a question, but that's not something you want to gloss over. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so, I, so if you're brought up Christian, then human nature was good uh, until that bastard talking snake uh, got involved and um, convinced the rib woman to make Adam eat the magical apple, uh, in which case they got kicked out, sword of fire placed in their way, and the, um, the woman was cursed with childbirth and the man was cursed with work. And that's one of my greatest individual struggles is as a, as a Christian, I, I, my life was – my relationship with Christ as I perceived it. Mm -hmm. And that, that was everything. That was the lens through which I saw the world. And to, to have that. And, and Jesus teaches that, you know, it's not just cheating on your wife. That's bad. It's lusting after a woman, every, every thought, every, uh, just every flicker of anything that goes through your mind is subject to judgment as good or evil. And even after, you recognize the irrationality of the faith, it is so difficult uh, emotionally to not and that and that's that's one of the problems that I ran into getting into reading Rand was it was such a convenient transition over to her to moralizing everything I thought and everything I did and immediately judging it as good or evil and instead of doing it by the uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I was doing it by Galt's speech and, no and and I mean Rand can get a bit you know. Beethoven has a macabre sense of life and it's like, yeah. oh, come on. Oh, yeah. come on. You know, I can't, I can't get to the, but of course she comes out of the Jewish tradition, right? And, and in all religions, Judaism, Christianity, there is, there are two aspects, right? There is thought crime, right? Right. And, and in UPB, there is no thought crime in, 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 philo in my ethics, well, I shouldn't say my ethics and hopefully rational ethics, there is no thought crime. There's no such thing as a thought crime. And, and, and I think mind. that thought crime is the opposite of self-knowledge because if you're going to divvy yourself up into good and evil, then you cannot pursue self-knowledge any more than you want to make love to the ugliest person in the world or become <laughs> best friends with Charles Manson, right? So self-knowledge requires a lack of judgment. Now, <laughs> judging outside yourself I think is valid and healthy and good. Um, but in terms of self-knowledge – and Rand was very honest. She said, I don't understand psychology at all. And um, uh, so, so in terms of self-knowledge – um, 
we have to be non-judgmental. And in that, you know, the Buddhists and the Zens and the, you know, judge not lest you be judged. Fantastic. For your ecosystem, for your inner voices, for your inner characters, your alter egos. Yes. No judgment, curiosity. There is no evil within the mind. There is evil in the hands that strangle the hobo. There is no evil within the mind. Whereas religion, of course, um, carves the mind into good and evil. And the evil vastly outweighs the good. And it sets you at war against yourself. The reason yep. that you are set at war against yourself is so you cannot question the source of the rules. Right, you cannot question the source of the rules if you are at war with yourself. Yep, and and that's just the, and even even though on a on a cognitive level I know that and I understand that it is just so difficult emotionally to separate myself from that and and to stop doing it to myself. That's um, and that's one of as I talk about the habits I need to pick up. Uh, that's something I really I would I, I would like to work on and address. But go go ahead, you were. Yeah, philosophy, colon, Satan is your friend. And he is, of course. And Satan, frankly, is one of the more likable characters in the Christian pantheon. I mean, that, you know, Jesus is okay when he's taken on the moneylenders. And I think we could use him with the Federal Reserve right now. But, you know, Jesus, for the most part, at least the way he's depicted, is that dewy-eyed gay fella hugging the, land in, hugging the lamb in inappropriate ways. I mean, that to me is, you know, that's not... That's not the way. Shouldn't you have a fucking tan? <laughs> You're from the Middle East, for Christ's sake. What's with the blue eyes and the pasty skin? What are you, like some British royalty? Are you kidding me? And, uh, you know, the Virgin Mary, um, you know, one woman's tale to cover up her infidelity just got way out of hand. <laughs> and so it is, um, uh, it, it, is a, it, it is a challenge to take away these archetypes to recognize that they are alien artifacts planted in your mind by people who frankly want to control you. Uh, and this is not to say that there are not good Christians and people who have uh, good faith that make you know, allow them or encourage them to do good things. I fully, fully accept that. You know, there are good Christians and there are bad atheists. I really, really understand that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm not saying it's all just some evil Machiavellian plot. But uh, the reality is that we cannot have individuation. We cannot be who we are if we are possessed by the fairy tales of sun-baked Bedouins from 5,000 years ago. That is not who you are. It may, it, 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 given the inheritance that Christianity suffered from or, or used, or you know the Mithras religion, the other religions, it wasn't even them. And so it's like a kid running around you know, saying, I'm Harry Potter. No, you're not. You can you know, pretend to be Harry Potter, and that's fine. You, know, you can play a game or whatever. But if he's really becoming Harry Potter, that's not healthy, right? Right. If you really, really get the glasses and, you know, he starts speaking in a British accent and uh, whatever, right? Of course, Harry Potter grew up to be an atheist or Daniel Radcliffe did anyway. But, but the reality is that, 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 that is not who you are because that is other people's stories, other people's mythologies. That's not who you are. But it's now a part of who you are and because that was your experience, right? Yeah. I'm sorry? And I just need to exercise it, too. Well, first of all, you can talk to Jesus because he's in there, right? Right. I mean, you can still talk to Jesus because he's he's part of your mind, right? He has – I mean, you believed in him. Uh, he's internalized. He is an area of psychological energy for you. Uh, he's got his own particular perspectives and voice and so on. But the problem is you simply can't speak to Jesus as an authority figure with infinite knowledge, right? Because he's not a god. He's a part of yourself. 
So you can have conversations with Jesus, but you cannot pray to Jesus, right? You can ask Jesus, you can tell Jesus, you can interact with Jesus, but I'm afraid you have to do it as an equal. What I'm saying is you're Jesus. See, being Harry Potter is bad, but being <laughs> yeah. Jesus apparently is, is very this good. Is a, this is a big ego boost for me right now. Yeah, that's right. Now, <laughs> throw some water on the ground and see if you can win. <laughs> All right. Well, all right. So, so to recap, and we'll so in the leave time for that last uh, patient caller, you would recommend checking out the workbooks of Mr. Brandon, Mr. Bradshaw, a Dream Journal. Yeah, I and- think those are the only ones that I uh, that I did, which I can sort of recommend. Um, okay. You can do a uh, FDR nineteen twenty seven. Uh, you can check that out. Uh, FDR. These are people from the chat window uh, who are writing at that. Uh, FDR seventeen sixteen. Uh, FDR 1658, a great year. Uh, how to pursue self-knowledge when you can't afford a therapist. I feel that that might have something to do with it. And oh. there is also how to choose a good therapist, which so is those a podcast. Are, those are, I did. And those are the podcast numbers, correct? Because I've always used your YouTube. I haven't checked the podcast out. Yeah, check the podcast numbers. You can do searches uh, on the website to find them. Okay. Uh, I don't think those were ever videos. Um, I have 900 videos and over 2,000 podcasts, so they're not all. It's not a one-to-one relation. You're um, not loquacious at all. No. <laughs> all no. right. Well, that was that was Satan talking right there, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate your time, and uh, thank you for everything you do. You're very welcome, and uh, please feel free to to call back. All right. Um. In uh, uh, you know, let me know how it goes. Yes, sir. All right. Caller, you have four minutes. Go. No, I'm kidding. We can go over. Hello. 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 Yes. Are you hearing me? I am. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I have. This is probably probably going to run out of time real shortly here. No, no, we'll I go have, over. Don't worry. I appreciate okay, your patience. Okay. Okay. Because this is this is real important to me, so I really appreciate it. Um, I, I just had a daughter. She's four months old, and I'm going to be in the middle of. I have a few years to convince my wife to not put her into public schools. So I've got that working. So I've got time for that. And she's kind of warm to the idea. Uh, but it's, it's going to be a difficult, difficult thing because she's from, she's Japanese. And they are very, uh, much more socialist in the United States as far as schools and just top down. Sorry, you said, you, you said, sorry, you said that they're much more socialist in the United States. You meant Japan, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. So she's still programmed in in the the school way of, uh, and they have they do so much homework, and I'm just I don't want my daughter to go through that. No. So I'm wondering. I, I know you have a lot of resources available for that. Yeah. Look, I mean, and, first first of all, what I would suggest is that you learn more about the Japanese school system, mm-hmm. because you you need to understand where your wife is coming from. So let's say that the Japanese school system is way better than the United States school system. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine in some ways, I would theorize that that probably is better in many ways. It's more of a homogenous culture. They haven't had the family disintegration uh, that the United mm-hmm. States has had. And um, they don't drug their kids as much, so they don't get all that weirdness. So my guess is that your experience of education from the state is quite different from her experience of education from the state. Mm-hmm. And so you really want to make sure that you get into her shoes, um, though not necessarily the rest of her clothes. Oh, it depends. It's up to you. But um, try and get into her shoes and ask her what her experience 
of government schools was and what she liked about it, what she didn't like about it, and so on. That, you know, the first thing that if you want to convince someone of something, the first thing you need to understand is what is his or her reference point. Because otherwise, you're talking about how bad schools are, which may have been your direct experience, but it may not have been her direct experience, in which case you need to understand what where she's coming from in terms of, right. of when you say government schools. She's, you know, your experience is obviously something you've talked about, but her experience is what is different. So that would be my sort of first, uh, my first suggestion. Does that make any sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, totally, that totally makes sense. And the other issue I had that, I don't even know how to phrase it, a question about this because it's, it's my, I have a son also who is 20. So. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, I, yeah. There, there, New sperm, meet of, old sperm. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he, he uh, actually, I, I really messed up in raising him and not being around and things of that nature. Just, I made every mistake in the book, and now he's in prison. Oh, my gosh. I'm so and, sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, and it's just it's, – it's hell for me and it's hell for him. And he's – and I, what – how can you reach someone in prison? <laughs> right. Uh, do you mind uh, you, you talk about this or not as you see fit? Um, I mean, you haven't got any names here. So uh, w what do you think that you did that was, um, as you say, uh, you said you made every mistake in the book. You know, there are other people out there. I'm sure, you know, it doesn't make a good situation out of a bad situation, but it gets as much gold out of it as possible. Um, what would you do differently or what were the mistakes that you think uh, that you made or you feel that you made that resulted well, in this the first, uh, situation? the first mistake was, was mate selection. And oh right! So I, yes, so please, I, everybody, I be very careful with who you uh, who you hook up with for the purposes of procreation. It is the most important decision you're ever going to make. But sorry, go ahead. So I tried to make it work with her and our relationship for about the first three years of his life, but we ended up eventually, inevitably, breaking up. And so I wasn't there. For and well, sorry, life. what were the complaints that you would have about her uh, as a wife and as a friend and as a mother? sort of incompatible, I, I, I guess. Um, she sort of had a, a dark cloud over her and was sort of negative about uh, just everything. If, if you could think of a negative attitude about prosperity, about rich people, about uh, men, about... We won the lottery. Oh, man, now people are going to just want money from us. Right, right, right. She's just kind of a cranky old... Lady, which she, I think she's turned around in recent years, but a uh, a minister hard. of doom and gloom from the kingdom of woe mm -hmm. is me, right? Okay. Yeah. Yes. 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 So that that was that was it. Just sort of combative, unnecessary. Combative? How? Towards well, you know, actually, after after we had had split up, I would uh, we were living across the state, uh, about four hour drive away from each other, and so I would call and talk to my son, and I'd hear her in the background just saying bad things about my family. So, because her family was poor, my family was more well-off, and so, you know, those sorts of things, just, just, just being negative. Well, and so. sorry to, to interrupt, but I mean, that's, that's sort of a judgment thing too, right? I mean, because... That's not what a mom should be doing, even if she thinks it. Right. She right. shouldn't be telling. So there's a judgment thing around that, like what's good for the kids versus what is an immediate emotional relief for her. Right. 
right, right. The selfishness? Do that Does that make any sense? Yeah. Right, right. And, I, and that, that was one thing that, that always bugged me was that I would have the restraint to not uh, say anything negative about anyone involved with my son's life when, when he was growing up because that's something for you to figure out later on, you know? It's, it, especially something like the, the, the me against the, the, the conflict. Because I, I, I grew up with divorced parents, and, and they were, and it wasn't a good thing, but they made the best out of it they could by not being, you know, not, not using me as fodder to throw against each other, if, if you know what right. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So. All right, and what else? And um, uh, I, just, I just don't, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to reach him so that he doesn't go back. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to, because it seems to me um, that that's not quite enough for him to end up in prison. Like, what do I know, right? I, but that right, doesn't right, strike right, me right. as, from what I know about childhood trauma and its relationship to, um, to mm-hmm. criminality, that doesn't, like having a mom who's kind of inappropriate and selfish or whatever, and a dad who, I don't know, you said you were not there, is that right? Right, and I think that's the, that, that, that's the main thing. He came to live with me later on, when he was about 13, but he'd already been doing drugs. He had already kind of set his path, and I was trying to, uh, I think, what, what I was trying to do was to get him back, get him off drugs, and, and get him kind of on the right path. And I, I don't think I, and I know I did, I did the wrong, the wrong thing. I, I used violence. I, yeah, didn't respect him the way I should have. And, and what so, you mean when you say that you used violence? Well, I did spank him, and we did have physical confrontations where I, I lost control of my temper. Now I didn't, you know, I didn't punch him or, or, or things of that nature, but it did it did become a, a sort of a, a fight between us. And how often would you spank him? I just did it once. Oh, you just did once. Okay. Did it once. Okay. Yeah. Um, because once I did it, I felt stupid. Because you know he was almost as big as me at that point, <laughs> and uh, yeah, not, not that, that matters. Seem... I mean, it's never, it's never, it's never right to do it now, and I realize that now. But at, at the time, I was going off the advice of a friend who kept his uh, son off of drugs by um, violence <laughs> or threat of violence. So, do you it, know if, um, if sorry, do you know if your ex-wife? Um, I mean, if she did she remarry? Did she have uh, boyfriends over, or what other right. kinds of uh, influences was she was he exposed to as a child? Your son? She, yeah, she remarried just a, a few years after, or, or, or got together with her current husband just a few years, like maybe a year after we split up. And he has three younger brothers. Oh, from the uh, from the second husband? Yeah, 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 yes, from that marriage. Right. And I'm not. I, I believe they had a he had a decent relationship with the stepdad, but I don't think that um, it was optimal. <laughs> I don't. Uh, think, so? I don't think it ever is. <laughs> Based on my experience with my stepfather, I don't think it ever is a good, an optimal situation. Right. 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 And if you don't mind me asking, um, what um, uh, what landed him in jail? Well, the, okay, this, this is his second time, actually. Uh, so the first time was something I would consider an actual crime, <laughs> where he actually stole something, broke in uh, uh, to a place or whatever. And he, he did that time. And then once he got out of there, he got 
uh, he was out maybe two months, and he got caught, as you said, with the wrong type of vegetation. Right. And uh, oh, cough medicine too. For God's sake, he he had cough oh, medicine. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't have that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So. And uh, how long's he in for? <sighs> Until 2014, I think. Oh my God! Really? 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully with some good behavior, whatever. Right. 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 Yeah, I'm hoping that there's a way that we could. Was he, was he on probation? Is that one of the reasons why it was harsh? Yes. Yes. Because it was so soon after the judge threw a book at him because he was it was just like like fresh out, and then he decided to go. No, I don't agree with the crime, but it was. I mean, I don't agree with the fact with with it being a, with the drug laws at all. But, but they're there, right? I mean, you got to. Yeah, right? but, but they are there, and it was symptoms of not wanting to, of still trying to sort of live the criminal dream, <laughs> the criminal fantasy of being the big, big boss or whatever. Right. And so your question is, um, I mean, obviously, as, as a parent, you would want this to never, ever happen again. Uh, to, right. to your son. And so is your question sort of what can you do to, to try and get through to him? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, look, I, you understand, I don't know. I mean, I, I, right. this is very complicated. I can certainly share with you some of my amateur thoughts uh, if, if you feel this would be helpful to you. Oh, yes. Um, I think that people steal because they feel that they've been stolen from. And generally what they feel they've had stolen from them is the happiness of their childhoods. And um, again, not to sort of pump this stuff, but I think that's useful. You can look at the bomb and the brain stuff and uh, that, that I've got on YouTube and some of the uh, interviews that I've done in this area. And the pr you know, one of the problems with divorce, and there are many problems with divorce, of course, is that you really do lose a lot of control over who's in your children's lives. Um, you know, you're this, I don't know. I'm just theorizing, right? But the, the second, uh, the second husband might've had a creepy uncle. I don't know. Right. But you really do lose control over who's in your children's lives. And therefore a lot of their behaviors, if you don't know the context can seem kind of incomprehensible, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if I were in your shoes, I would sit down and say, okay, okay. So. I have to look at this as a parent, as a cry for help, because because if it's not, then there's nothing I can do. And I, I think it's it's a good first approach, and I think it, it could be of, of real value. But I would sort of really ask about childhood, you know? Uh, I would really ask and say, like, before apologizing, you have to know what you're apologizing for. And so the, the first thing that I would do is really, really try and get a handle on what your son's childhood was like. Not just the part you saw, of course, but the part that he experienced. I feel fairly sure, which doesn't mean anything. Right? I'm just telling you, being honest about my, my feelings. I feel fairly sure that if you're persistent in that conversation, then information will emerge out of his childhood that places his adult actions in a context that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Until you have that context where things sort of make sense, then I think it's very hard to, to help him. And you can do that. The good news is, of course, you can do that through letters. And I don't know what the visitation rights are, are like or how public it is, but you can do that 
with uh, with letters. Um, I mean, the thought just struck me. I'm not sure how vulnerable you want him to be while he's in jail. Uh, I don't know. But but if there's a way to ask him even about the factual elements, you know, just saying, you know, I, I, you could say something like this. Look, I know I'm late to the game. I, I know that that I wasn't there enough for you as a kid. And uh, but but I really do want to understand your history, understand where you came from and see the parts of your childhood that I didn't see because I wasn't there. And, you know, so give me your five best memories, your five worst memories. Um, uh, and, and really try to get a sense of what may have occurred for him or what developmental stages may have been missed that would give him this, these, these kinds of poor judgments. Um, I, I don't buy that, you know, people are, you know, end up in jail because they're dumb. Uh, I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think that, you know, people end up in jail because they have missed particular stages in their development uh, and um, and they have not had a chance to explain the story of their lives in a way that makes sense to other people and therefore makes sense to themselves. And because their lives don't have any shape or cause or they have no history that bears on where they are, they make decisions in a vacuum without relevance to their histories. I know this is a very abstract way of putting it, and I hope this makes makes some kind of sense. But if you can find out about his history, uh, I feel quite sure that you will find things that will put his current actions in a kind of context. And, and him um, thinking about it and, may, and maybe, you know, allow himself to be vulnerable enough, which it, it is difficult in there. <laughs> it is yeah. difficult in there. You to find any time to the you where you can think for yourself or by yourself. I mean, not not, not think for yourself. Um, and then, so maybe those those things that he'll, he'll be able to uh, he will allow himself to sort of feel the hurt that he wasn't allowed to feel. And yeah, he. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be a, a big emotional thing, but even just to get him thinking about about his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you grow up in a very difficult childhood, then you're, you, you, you have no context for your current decisions because so much stuff is repressed or whatever, right? So, so you, there's, no, there's no narrative, there's no thread that, well, you know, like, I don't know, this is a completely different situation in some ways, of course, but the first caller was like, well, I tend to overthink things, and he hadn't made any connection between that and his father's anger when he was a kid. Right, so now he doesn't think about it. Well, I just have this habit of overthinking things. It's got a narrative that goes back and connects with his history. And if your son doesn't have a narrative that makes sense and connects with his history, then I think he's going to be making decisions in very short term uh, and in a way kind of conformist or compliant. You know, the the, uh, criminals look quite rebellious, but they're actually quite compliant because it takes a certain social environment to foster that kind of criminality. Um, In other words, you know, so when he broke in and stole stuff, there had to be a bunch of people that he talked about it with that, that were like, yeah, you know, or like it's, it's, it's a very kind of compliant lowest common denominator social environment. And if he doesn't understand how that seems kind of normal to him because of something in his history that I don't know about, you don't know about, and hopefully he knows about at some point, then he won't be able to put any of that stuff in context. It would just seem normal to him. And uh, so, so he has to look upon his path as a deviation from the way his life should have been and could be hopefully in the future, but he has to see how he was knocked off course. Does that make any sense? Yes, yes, yes. And so, yeah, I I would invite him into this now. I mean, I I think, I think you're going to have to be patient. This might 
take six months. It might take a year. It might take two years before he starts to really think about this stuff. But I think that well, persistence he's, and he's that patience time. is all. Yeah, he's got time. You also, I would strongly recommend reading uh, In the Realm of the Hungry Ghosts by Gabor Mate, uh, G-A-B-O-R-M-A-T-E. But it's got that funny little <laughs> Zorro slash above the E. It's called In the Realm of the Hungry Ghosts. And he works with, I mean, a, a different level of, of dysfunctional people than your son. Uh, but I think that what he's got to say about this stuff is uh, is very, very important. Uh, I mean, I've had a little interview with him, but the really important stuff is, is to read his uh, his books. Uh, I think that's really important. And again, I'd recommend having a look at the Bomb and the Brain series um, uh, on, on YouTube. But there is a way to have his behavior come into context with his history uh, and I think until that happens, it's going to be almost impossible to change it. But once that happens, it will be impossible to sustain his current course. Once you make those connections, it changes your future. Uh, so, you know, that would be my um, uh, that would be my strong guidance. And of course, for you, I mean, I always recommend this to people who are facing these these challenges. Um, I think therapy is always a fantastic thing if you find the right therapist, um, because obviously, as his dad, there were potentially things that you could have done. Uh, prior to this situation unfolding the way it did and if you didn't see them uh, sorry, if you did see them but didn't act upon them, whatever you could have done to to try and avert this stuff, then that's important to know why. And, and the reason is not only you can't, can't fix the past, but you can at least avoid the same thing, right? So if you're going to go from a situation where you didn't intervene in a strong enough way to a situation where you're now going to try and intervene in a strong enough way, you need to know what kept you from intervening beforehand so you can do something different now. Does that make any sense? Yes, yes. To have the strength and conviction in myself to, to know to, to do things. And I think I, I, I did miss a lot of cues. Right, for, right. And you don't want to miss those again. Right. And I, you right. Know, so you've got to find out why you were missing those cues uh, so that you don't miss them again. Because if you're going to be the cavalry now, you don't want your horse to fall again like it did last time, right? Right. And now I've got to, and, and, and that is my, my motivation, uh, seeing what, what happened to my first child to make sure I do everything right with my daughter and your philosophical uh, parenting. This makes so much sense. Yeah, I hope it does. <laughs> I hope it does. I mean, yeah. non-aggression and property rights seem to work well on every level. Well, respecting your preferences, it's just so... Yeah, at this point, she can't speak, so I just cannot wait until there's language involved in the picture so that so that I can explain to her the, the, the few times where I've got to change her diaper or do things that makes her uncomfortable to explain to her that, that this is just a necessary evil, if you will, and child language <laughs> right and also uh again uh, for for parents i strongly recommend particularly parents with toddlers uh, babies uh, alison gopnik g-o-p-n-i-c-k i think she's got the philosophical baby she's got a bunch of talks on youtube she's done a ted talk uh, she studies uh, she's very much at the cutting edge uh, sorry, Alison, yeah, G-O-P-N-I-K, sorry, Alison Gopnik. She's very much on the cutting edge of researchers who are studying the cognitive abilities of babies. Uh, babies are incredibly smart, and they're incredibly aware. And this is where you get the most opportunity to um, to help your your child's personality to develop in as natural, spontaneous, and free a manner as possible. And so uh, she's been on my show as well. I think I had a pretty good interview with her, despite me making bad jokes about her encouraging babies to smoke cigarettes. But um, uh, I would, uh, you know, 
have her, you know, read her stuff. It's, you know, throw it on audiobook. She's, I think she's got some stuff on audible.com. Uh, but, um, and, and you, know, I think it's really important, you know, babies don't look that smart, but man, if I had like one tenth the brains of my daughter when she was born, uh, I'd be I, I even see, more loquacious. I, I see the total intelligence and the total sort of scientist that she is running experiments, taking an in input and figuring things out. I, I see it. I see the wheels spinning. I see what's going on. And, and I also can I can feel the frustration of her not being able to control <laughs> her hands the way she wants to and things like that. But I, I I do totally see it now that I'm I've like I said I've listened to your your speeches about philosophical parenting and respecting the preferences and and just the viewpoint of them being born essentially perfect. Right. And so, and so the last thing that I would recommend with regards to your son is uh, that there's a journey for yourself into your history because your son is a product of his history, your wife's history, and your history as well. And your history, um, and as you say, there are signs that you avoided or that you didn't see or you did see but didn't act upon. That's to do with your history. And so the most important thing is for you to, to figure out what, how your history contributed to the current situation. And that's important because otherwise – if if we don't understand how our own behavior is contributing to the situation, then we we approach the problem as kind of know-it-alls, as like, I'm here to help. Like, we just came across somebody by the side of the road, and we're trying to give them CPR. Um, right. Whereas if we are the one who actually ran them over, we have a slightly, slightly different attitude, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So I would well, really recommend that, that self-knowledge, you know, therapy and, and working within yourself, working in your own history, that's going to help with your daughter. Uh, I think it's also going to give your son the greatest chance to – to respond to you, not as somebody who's just kind of sort of blame him, like, well, what in your childhood made you act this way, as opposed to her, his childhood is a mixture also of your childhood, particularly right. the unseen aspects of your childhood. And the, clo- the, the more you can see them, and the closer you can see them, I think the, the better off you'll be in terms of being able to help him. And we do, we do speak a lot. Uh, we are able to speak fairly often, and I have brought up things about my childhood that I wasn't happy with. And kind of shared in that that's explained to him that, you know, in the, in the way that I can, but that's kind of why, you know, it's a cycle that's been going on. It's kind of why I did things I wasn't proud of with him or I, I made the wrong decisions. And, you know, share with him that, hey, I had the, had the same feelings that I didn't like being, you know, spanked with a two-by-four <laughs> when I was a kid and, you know, other abuses that I, I went through as a kid and that sort of thing, so... I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Now, the other thing, too, which is, of course, uh, tough as a parent. Uh, I know this, of course, uh, personally now as well, but to invite, you know, criticism uh, to to say, you know, you know, what what did you dislike about me as a parent? Um, I ask this of my daughter uh, every couple of days. You know, I will ask her and say, well, um, how am I doing as a dad? You know, what do you like? What do you not like? Uh, and we, we have that kind of regular conversation about things that she doesn't like. You know, what was your favorite part of the day? Things that she liked. What didn't you like about today? Uh, and then we would try – because that way we get a chance to negotiate about things not in the heat of the moment. Uh, and so, you know, if she, she says, well, I, you know, you wouldn't let me play with this, whatever, right? And, um, and then we can have a discussion about it without the thing itself being in her line of sight and her desperately wanting to do it, which raises the stakes, right? And so, um, uh, you know, so so she wants to eat popcorn, and we've decided not to let her eat popcorn because she's still a little bit too young. So we were at the mall, and what was what didn't you like? Well, I didn't like that you didn't let me have any popcorn. And it's like, well, that's that's great. Well, you know, let me talk. Let's talk about it, and we can talk about it then without 
the popcorn being right in front of her face and her having that whole right. full body and yearning, her which is salivating weird. and exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like. Uh, so then that, uh, that was going to be my question: is 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 then you, that gives you an opportunity to explain the things like like I mentioned earlier, how I can't wait until language comes into the picture so I can explain uh, the things that she doesn't like, the, the discomfort. And that's just wonderful, and I wish. I wish that was done to me. I wish I would have done that with my first son. I wish that more parents would do that, um, as opposed to the authoritarian route, which I, I more or less went with with my with my son. Right, and uh, so so the invitation to criticism. Uh, I I mean, obviously, I do this with the show here. Uh, I, I do this. I get lots of invitations to better behavior uh, in my inbox, and. Um, uh, I do this with my wife. I do this with my daughter. Uh, with friendships, what can I do that you know better, and so on. So I think that's really, really important. The invitation to criticism. Uh, I think I would guess that if your son hears you talking about yourself, it may not be quite as engaging for him as him getting the chance to you know vent the stuff that he didn't like about how he was raised. I think that could be right. really helpful. And then you know again, you have to really avoid. Well, I did that because. Or well, right. maybe I did that, but it was right. a lot less bad than what was done to me. But just to you know, be right. that sponge right. and listen right. and absorb right. Right. without yeah. justifying and, and, and without and my stepdad that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, my my stepdad was famous for that. He was like, well, you know, you you got easy because when I was you know your age, I had to, you know I would have been I would have been I was hit with a three by four, ago. not just a two by four, right? right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So. Right. Yeah. So so look, okay. and I, I I hope that's somewhat helpful. I mean, obviously, this is a uh, and I feel for you. I mean, and, and I, I, I got to tell you, I admire, I admire what you're doing. I mean, it's it, it's a real shame that it got to this, but uh, it sounds like you really are concerned with with your son, and it sounds like you're really going to step up and try and do the right thing. And I just yeah. want to say how much so I much. admire you for that. I think that's a hard thing to do, and I think it's a brave thing to do. So, one last question: You have a reference page for because I know you. There are a lot of. I, I do want to have some information available that I can present to my wife through this process of of uh, getting her on board, which well, she, she is somewhat on board with homeschooling already, so I, I, she just thinks that maybe I should uh, take her to, well, yeah, yeah, we can do the, she, <laughs> she literally told me, yeah, well, we could maybe do the homeschooling, but first, maybe kindergarten through third grade, she'll go to public school, and I think, and that's just like the worst possible time. Yeah, it's the worst time. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't have a lot of resources about homeschooling. I'm still sort of getting into it. You can check out unpluggedmom.com. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Brett Lynn is a, a great resource for that. Uh, Brett Vinod, of course, runs schoolsucks.com. Uh, no, it's not schoolsucks, podomatic.schoolsucks.com, I think. But um, uh, I, I'm not uh, I'm not a great resource. Maybe I will be at some point in the future. It's still a couple of years away for me for that decision, but um, there are lots of people out there. But just go gather the statistics uh, and yeah. and say, look, I mean, would, would we send our son to a dentist who had this kind of track record? Mm -hmm. uh, no. We wouldn't. We would find a better dentist. And if all the dentists were the same, then we would have to look into alternatives. Maybe, you know what, home dentistry may not be the, the best metaphor to use in this situation. But, yeah. uh, but just look at, the, um, look at the statistics of um, molestation from teachers of, um, oh, yeah, homework, right. I think, is, is crap. You know, I mean, it's just crap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Homework is junk. And homework has been shown statistically have no effect whatsoever mm -hmm. on uh, scholastic that, that, that was the one I, do you know where I could find that or, or that sort of study to bring out to her? You can check out John you, I'm sure you know of John Taylor Gatto, G A T T O. And you can uh, you can try that. John and uh, he's got lots of resources about how destructive education public school public schooling is to, to children. That, and that, uh, that he's got tons of books. 
Okay, because that is the biggest difference between Japanese and American schools. The Japanese, she said that when she was going through high school, she would get about three hours of sleep because of all the studying she had to do. And, yeah, uh, well, that's, yeah, you don't want to do that, of course, right? And, of yeah. course, if, if Japanese education is so great, why have they been in a recession for the last 20 years and have a birth rate of 1.2, right? I mean, that's that's not a healthy society. Right. So it's not to say that Japan is terrible or evil or anything, but based upon the track record of Japanese right. society over the past couple of decades, uh, you know, they went from, uh, you know, a, a absolutely blisteringly suicidal war to, um, you know, permanent occupation from the United States to a boom to, uh, you know, massive debt and recession. If Japan is so healthy, why do they have why are they in debt 230 percent of their GDP? And and still have no economic growth, and why are they basically dying off as a species? I mean, they have their replacement rates are so ridiculously low. In three generations, there'll be nobody on the island. So uh, I would just recommend that that if you know to look at the effects and and say these are ob ob objectively and empirically these are not great effects uh, in a society, and it must have something to do with the education. So there is something to be said for looking for alternative approaches. Very well. All right. Really appreciate your time. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, if you get a chance uh, and, and you'd like to, please feel free to drop me a line. Uh, host at freedomainradio.com. Let me know how things are going with your son. And uh, do give him my, my regards for what it's worth and, and my very best wishes for the future. And uh, with that, we will close off the Sunday show. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was maybe giving you a chance to, to, to plug some donations here. What, how do, does a subscription work with Freedom Main Radio? Well, what happens is um, I hire a bunch of people and they come to your house uh, every month and they remove one kidney. It's sort of a two-month plan and, and after that I basically sell you off for parts. No, um, yeah. the, um, the, the donation levels, um, there are a few, uh, you know, five bucks a month, uh, 10, 20, 50, and 100. And uh, you can sign them up, uh, sign up for them uh, on the website and uh, they go through PayPal. And so you, yeah, I never know. I don't have to know who you are. I never get your credit card number. It's all handled by a third party right. who I think is credible. And you can, you know, it just basically it just automatically takes money out of your PayPal account mm -hmm. and ships it to the uh, the compound here in Canada <laughs> uh, in in gold on the backs of uh, uh, yaks. Uh, and uh, yeah, so so that's what's set up. And there are you know a couple of levels of of sort of goodies. There are some sort of private message boards for people who have donated who want to have discussions out of the sort of Google public eye. And there are uh, some bonus podcasts and some bonus books uh, floating up around the donator levels. And uh, so yeah, I mean I sort of try. It's like a freemium, right? I mean everything's free, but there are a couple of bonus goodies for people who've donated. So I, I definitely think it's all, all you get out for free is just wonderful. But I definitely think it's worth doing the moral thing and exchanging some greenbacks. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that people sort of understand that and um, that this uh, look, what we do here it is, to my knowledge, perfectly unique. It is perfectly unique, right? So there are places where you can go for self-knowledge and there are places where you can go for philosophy and there are places where you can go for economics and all that kind of good stuff. But you know, where we try to sort of bring the first principles to bear everywhere. And there are places where you can go to parenting, but do they necessarily work from first moral principles? Probably not, really. Uh, and so I think that we're really trying as a community here to, you know, take a couple of basic principles that I think are pretty well logically validated through uh, universally preferable behavior and saying, okay, let's just keep applying these and keep applying these and see what happens and see how it goes. And that is a to my knowledge, that is a completely unique experiment in human history. 
Uh, it is a completely unique approach that we're taking uh, as a community to to bring philosophy really to bear on things that we can change. As I say, I always try to avoid trying to apply rules in situations that I can't control. And so non-aggression, property rights, uh, this is things that we can affect in our relationships, particularly with our children. So I think that it is an empirically proven, uh, the best and only way to improve a life. You know, if, if we, you know, if we win out, I think we will, if we win out and the philosophy of philosophical and peaceful parenting wins out and children are raised without aggression, I hope everybody understands that all the greatest evils of, of the world are going to fall away, are going to go. What we're doing here is we're working to end war, understand? <laughs> we're working to end abuse. We're working to end rape. We're working to end theft. We're working to end predation through fiat currency. We're working to end all of these great bottomless, from the dawn of time, historical evils permanently, without a shot being fired, without a voice being raised. And so I think this is the very best place for the future to grow from. I think this is a very unique place. And yeah, so if you think that too, then yeah, obviously uh, we need resources. Uh, we need resources to, to finish the documentary. We need resources to do outreach. We need resources for technical equipment. We need resources for bandwidth. We need resources for people to eat. Uh, me, I like that too. I'm a fan. And so, yeah, I mean, I hope that uh, if people get the importance of what's going on here, that it will be worth a few bucks a month. Um, I think if people don't, then, you know, then they shouldn't. But then I think they need to find a rational case as to what's more important. You know, people, th I, th I think charity is important. And I think donating to causes that, that you believe in is important. I certainly do that. And if people find that there's a better place for the future to grow from if they find that there's a place with more empirically verifiable beneficial aspects to humanity they need to tell me i'll go work for them <laughs> because my goal is to do the best and most important work to help the future be a peaceful and happy place if i'm not doing it and if there's evidence that other people are doing it better then i would go and work for them uh, but if not then i think it's a good thing to donate and people can go to freedomainradio.com forward slash donate uh, to do that and it is of course most most gratefully appreciated And with that, <laughs> I think that uh, we can uh, end the show. It's uh, 4.33 on the 11th of March, 2012. Um, I would also recommend I just uh, put out a video which, uh, with a great article um, called The Great Sugar... Let me just get the title here. Yeah, The, the Great... Uh, it's How Government Makes You Fat, The Great Sugar Shakedown, which is an article by James Bovard called The Great Sugar Shaft that uh, I've read and put on YouTube, and it's going to come out as a podcast as well. I hope that you will check that out, and I hope that you will have an absolutely wonderful, wonderful week, and I will talk to you next week, if not sooner.